Take her away, huh? Yeah, take it away, Ernest. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And now, now, live from Chicago, filling in for Joan Esposito. Please, Netflix, let me play Rudy Giuliani in a big, kind of bloviated, chainy suit like the one that Christian Bale wore. Actor, comedian, and multimedia personality, Hal Sparks. You can see the roots of the paranoia that Trump has in what he uses to attack everyone else and why he thinks everybody's a crook because I'm a crook and the only difference between me and them is I don't use email so their emails must be just full of criminality. Hal Sparks, live, local, and progressive. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to be filling in again for Joan, and uh, I appreciate her letting me, uh, honoring me with the space of taking over her show for a little while. I'm, of course, live streaming at infotainmentwars.com and at twitch.tv slash hellsparks. If you want to support what I do, patreon.com slash hellsparks, uh, or just just give a like, just give a thumbs up. We, we passed, we were in the 45 zone of subscribers on YouTube. We finally crested over that. We're now in the 46. I feel so much better. Not having to share the number of the former, uh, um, I, I, I hesitate even to call him a president because he was just kind of a placeholder for certain Republican ideas and a big mess otherwise. Um, lots going on today, not the least of which is uh, <laughs> a story that has come out as the January 6th committee has released more of the transcripts from their interviews with former White House staffers and uh, and I guess the, the surrounding Jan 6 uh conspiratorial I, I I mean I did they help did they hurt because they didn't actually move the ball forward they just created some violence and de- destroyed their own reputations uh, the Alex Ali Alexanders of the world um, they uh, they're in the news of all this <coughs> we're finding out from Cassidy Hutchinson's um, interview that <laughs> he was that Mark Meadows was burning documents in the White House fireplace Twice a week. That's, by the way, like, part of this was during the winter, but part of it wasn't. Also, uh, it must have been hot in there, just the volume of fuel he was using at a certain point. And again, most of the documents he's burning, there's probably a printout version of, of those documents someplace. But what what do you burn? Why do you burn in it like a printed email or a PDF of something? Why would you burn that? I'll tell you why. Because of your personal notes, or specifically the personal notes of Trump that are on those pieces of paper when he was marking it up, telling people to do things, asking them to do things for him. Many of which we're you know we obviously know that he was attempting a, a, a good deal of criming during that period of time. And as he was doing that, um, he would scribble on paper because he thought he was untouchable and that if the president does it, then it is not a crime. So he thought he could get away with ordering people to break the law on his behalf. Mark Meadows, because he was training wheels for stupid, um, was sort of in charge of getting rid of the evidence. And I mean, it's no surprise to anyone. Um, And again, uh, we we thank our lucky stars every single day that uh, people like Mark Meadows were in charge of the Gen 6 coup nonsense, because if it hadn't, uh, if, if they hadn't, if anybody had been in charge who had any brains, it would have actually been successful. Thankfully, everyone involved with it to the person was an idiot. Um, there is a, a batch of transcripts um, that have to do with the fact that Mark Meadows was also trying to 
she talks openly about the fact that Mark Meadows is trying to it was witness tampering. He was telling her, look, play ball, stay loyal to me and to the boss, meeting Trump, um, their term for the their big guy, I suppose, and trying to manipulate her and say and and knowing that the lawyer that they had assigned to her was telling her the exact same thing. The problem they had was she dumped that lawyer because she recognized that this it, it wouldn't protect her to back other lies because the truth was eventually going to come out. So she got her own lawyer and started telling the truth, which is why we're finding out a good deal of the things we're finding out, including that the Secret Service um, was covering for Trump and the fact that he tried to throttle Tony Arnato and others um, because he wanted to be taken to the uh, to the White House, or sorry, to the Capitol from the White House or from the speech. Also, interesting detail that came out, and this was from Claire McCaskill. She brought this up that that apparently Trump knew somewhere around two thirty in the afternoon that Ashley Babbitt had been shot, and still waited another ninety minutes to film his video telling people to go home. He had a people witnessed him with a piece of paper. Somebody had come in and slipped him a note saying a civilian has been shot in the Capitol. And remember how much flack George W. Bush got for reading My Pet Goat for another nine minutes on 9-11? Another seven minutes, whatever it was? Remember, I mean, that's that's still a story. That still comes up in regular rotation. Meanwhile, Trump, um, you know, while he's, you know, watching on TV, his supporters attack the U.S. Capitol he hears around 2.30 that a woman has been shot. Now, by the way, n- no word on whether he knew about the other woman who had been trampled to death, who was ironically, of course, carrying a don't tread on me flag. She was a, uh, a Republican Trump supporter who was trampled by other Republican Trump supporters on that day. The police that those very people were trying to attack tried to resuscitate her after other MAGA supporters dragged her to them seeking medical attention for her. It was too late because they had apparently tr- crushed her rib cage. Um, no, no word on whether he had a note on his desk about her. Probably not. I, I would even doubt that he, to this day, knows about her. Um, But he apparently did have a note on his desk that Ashley Babbitt had been shot, and he decided to wait an hour and a half before dialing back uh, the rhetoric. And and even then, came out and said, we love you, you're very special, before telling everybody it was time to leave. Just grotesque. But... um, uh, in a discussion about the Cassidy Hutchinson uh, documents, um, they were, these are from the summer. Previously, uh, we got transcripts from September. And uh, this is, um, who's this? Uh, Lowell from, um, oh, they don't even say who's saying this in particular. But um, uh, Hutch, Hutchinson couldn't uh, elaborate or confirm any of the details of the kind of documents that Mark Meadows was burning. Um and that's probably not something that even the DOG Jay can uh, probably corroborate. But it is interesting when you think about the timing. Hutchinson testified that one of the instances when Mike, uh, Mark Meadows was burning these documents was when Representative Scott Perry was actually in the chief of staff's office. Also, by the way, <coughs> Scott Perry was um, subpoenaed to talk to the January 6th. He was asked to talk to the January 6th committee and refused. 
They were talking about election issues. They were talking about the vice president's role on January 6th. And, and certainly, if you're looking for uh, circumstantial evidence, this seems to be very damning. Two other things that stood out to me, says Lowell, uh, was that Hutchinson was in the room for part of Trump's call to Georgia Secretary of State uh, Brad Raffensperger, and she seemed to notice how the White House counsels were quite concerned after the call. As we have since found out, DOJ is investigating that call. The, uh, Geo, the Georgia District Attorney is investigating the call, and one of the concerns for the White House counsel was exactly what was being discussed. Um, it's uh, the people were hired especially in the waning days of the Trump um, uh, of the Trump presidency, people like Cash Patel and others were brought into or raised up in the job that they were currently and they were given a promotion in the final days, essentially to either gather documents um, for their own use or to um, get rid of them. Um, one of the fascinating parts is that there was um, let's see if I can. Uh, find this. He was not only burning documents, but Mark Meadows was having teams from uh, their own NSC copying documents, many of which he brought home with him. So Mark Meadows is uh, is up to his neck in this, and Trump is not going to stick his neck out for Mark Meadows anytime soon. <coughs> there, um, all, all of these folks again. Uh, Mark Meadows. Effectively lying to the January 6th committee as well, saying that he did not ma- he did not call um, the people at the uh, at the Mayflower Hotel, I believe it was, where uh, Bannon and Rudy Giuliani were gathered at, with Roger Stone and others and the, and members of the Proud Boys coordinating what happened on January 6th. His he he said he didn't have a call with them or or you know speak to them on the phone was I think the words he used specifically, and the reason he said that is because. They FaceTimed. It was a video conference, and so he was making a distinction without a difference uh, in that situation and hoping that that covered him. He could get around the fact that he had actually communicated with, yeah, the war room, they were calling it, um, by saying he never called them because he didn't consider FaceTime a call. Which is interesting, considering that one of the lawsuits that Donald Trump is being, you know, being forced to be deposed in on several fronts is a lawsuit against him for promoting a video phone during his time on The Apprentice, where uh, he was, uh, you know, pushing this product, but at the same time not letting uh, letting viewers know that he was being paid as a spokesperson, and so. It, it, curiously enough, the fact that he would be selling this thing, this video phone, and Mark Meadows is making it is is aware of this. He must be aware of this because it was a nagging lawsuit that had been around for a while. As the you know, as the as his chief of staff, he must have heard about some of this. That he's making that distinction and splitting that hair, considering how Trump had been selling a video phone that was shaped like an actual phone. It's just curious. Anyways, uh, Meadows. No doubt will be called into a grand jury if the uh, um, if the, if there is one and there will be that the DOG DOJ convenes to to dive into this. So um, that's the big primary news. Um, we got to take a break. When we come back. Um, I, I we have I guess we have to take a look at Tesla stock, don't we? And and the direction uh, that the genius is taking this company? Nah. Um, there's too many other news items to talk about. Not the least of which is that tomorrow. Or no, day after tomorrow, beg your pardon, Friday, Trump's taxes come out. 
Six years of his taxes will be released by the House Ways and Committee, Ways and Means Committee, on Friday. So if you see a lot of like sweaty, bloviating freakout coming from Donald Trump over the next couple of days, that's why. Not that he needs a reason these days. Seems like it's all he does. But in particular, this is it. We'll be back. I'm House Parks. I'm filling in for Joan Esposito. Be back right after this. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Welcome back. I'm Hal Sparks. I'm filling in for Joan Esposito today on WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk. WCPT820.com is the website. I'm just saying. it's You can bookmark it. That's got all your favorite talkers on there. And then, of course, um, my Saturday show uh, is is here as well. So, um, you know, join us sometime if you want. Otherwise, you can watch me live streaming at infotainmentwars.com or at flank.com, F-W-A-N-Q.com, of course. And then, of course, my Facebook page or Twitter or even Rumble, where the right wing gathers, uh, which is really a cesspool, I got to say. It's, uh, it's like somebody... Um, Gave some mouthwash to bit shoot, but just barely. It was like used mouthwash. Ugh, I'm grossing myself out. Anyways, uh, avoid rumble. It's gross. But um, that said, one of the most fascinating things about the January 6th thing, besides the fact that we now know that Mark Meadows was destroying documents on their way out the door and trying to cover uh, Trump's uh, buttocks as well as his own and was trying to manipulate and uh, cajole witnesses into testifying in a way that would you know, protect Trump is this odd thing about how January 6th was paid for. Now, never mind the fact that the Trump inaugural fund was always rife with corruption and, and where the money came from and what it was ultimately spent on is anybody's guess. And considering that at one point somebody looked up the fact that Trump one year gave, he gave money to the Boy Scouts and he gave the least amount of money to the Boy Scouts that anybody gave. Um, in a year that, by the way, he was bragging about the Boy Scouts loving him or something. <clears throat> and he gave $7. And in giving that $7 to the Boy Scouts, everybody was like, seven bucks? What is that? If this was the Girl Scouts, it'd be like three boxes of cookies maybe back then. What was it? Turns out Donald Trump's charity paid the $7 entry fee for Don Jr. to join the Boy Scouts. It, to join the Boy Scouts cost you $7 the year Don Jr. joined. And Trump took it from his public charity, from other people's funds. It's, I mean, Trump's had a history of this. This is, he's always been a fake billionaire. He's always been scheming and scamming. It's just what he does. It's how he got into the White House. But at a certain point, the return on investment on that kind of behavior, it, there's usually a wall. So and and he hit it fairly hard and he's he's got the sort of political CTE to prove it right now. But there's a woman named Carolyn Wren who worked on the Trump campaign, raising money, you know, leading up to the 2020 election, the um, the uh, failed Trump campaign in 2020, raising money. I guess I don't know what they were raising money for other because he was he was getting paid at the rallies to for uh, through his own. Uh, super PAC, I suppose. So the money laundering aspect, I guess that's, I guess there's a low end money laundering endeavor instead of a real campaign. And I guess if you're going to lose anyways, 
Why waste the money really trying? So uh, and, and, you know, I think the biggest campaign expenditure that we know of was, of course, him sending Rudy Giuliani to Ukraine to pay five million dollars for a hard drive full of compromise and and fakery that the Russians were shopping for three million dollars. But I guess in the art of the deal, we all learned that if you can pay five million dollars for something that costs three million dollars, that's just what billionaires do. See Elon Musk. Anyways, Carolyn Wren, who worked on the Trump campaign, uh, was interviewed by the the select committee. And um, interestingly enough, she says that she never really tried to raise money for the January 6th gathering. It just sort of happened. Um, uh, according to a report for, that ProPublica revealed, uh, Ren boasted to Republican operative D- uh, Dustin Stockton that she'd raised $3 million to support the Jan 6 rally. She also described how she had parked, quote, parked unspecified amounts of money for Jan 6 at an arm of the Republican Attorneys General Association and the Tea Party Express and at Turning Point. We'll get to that later because Ali Alexander and Charlie Kirk and all those guys are now, uh, a, you know, the, they have turned on each other. The firing squad has turned inward, and but for some backbiting, that's where the the injuries are coming from. Um, a collection of affiliated nonprofits that serve young Republicans. The report said. Um, she testified to Congress. She said, for me, I don't recall ever soliciting funds during that time. Like I wasn't raising money from donors to go into any sort of a like account for, or the RNC like the Trump campaign. I'm not really sure how that would have worked if the campaign could still solicit funds after the election. I know there were, you know, you could still technically like, I guess, give to the RNC, but it may have still been Trump victory, too, as a term. But I wasn't involved in doing that, with the exception of March 2020 to November 2020. I went in-house with the Trump campaign, so I didn't have outside clients outside of the Trump campaign for that duration of time. The committee asked, and would that have been the Trump Victory Finance Committee? And she goes, that's a good question. I don't actually know. Wren said about who paid uh, an employer. Trump Victory was the joint fundraising committee between Donald J. Trump for president and the RNC. I believe that my salary was just Donald J. Trump for president. Okay, so to your knowledge, were you employed by Trump Victory Finance Committee? She says Trump Victory Finance Committee was not was the name of the finance committee. So like the person who employed me, I believe, was Donald J. Trump for president, Inc., she went on to say that she was uh, never a finance director, as would be in a traditional campaign. Said she was called senior advisor to Kimberly Guilfoyle and national finance advisor. When asked who she reported to, it was Guilfoyle who was the, quote, finance chair. Starting to get a picture why Trump's campaign was doomed from the start, besides his, you know, obvious bungling of uh of covid and his desperate attempt the year before to try to get the fed to do negative interest rates and basically print money for free actually at a cost to the taxpayer so that they could he they could jumpstart the recession he started with his tax cuts anyways ren explained that there were three different buckets of fundraising cash oh i bet there were there was a legal fund and an illegal fund. No, I'm kidding. There was a legal fund. There was a state party fund. So that's where the, that number increased by time as they added different state parties to it. And then the other fund was 
There was one other. And that total ended up, she didn't say what it was, that total ended up being $817,600 as the maximum a donor could give. So if people were giving a large amount, really over $250,000 or $500,000, like that legal fund was always a talking point that came from within. Now the waterfall would move as to where the legal fund would be at times. And I never really, yeah, this is, it, do you understand? Donald Trump was receiving donations from God knows who to this legal fund in in amounts of like 250000 to $500,000 or more. The max you could give to it was $817,600. And where that legal fund resided, which bucket or which organization or who oversaw, uh, who oversaw it um, at any given point was anybody's guess. It just did not matter. People were just dumping money his direction, and God knows where it came from, because I, I don't know if an, anywhere in there were, were guaranteed that this were these were U.S. funds only. That would be a curious thing to look at. Um, she goes, and I never really, it was a bit, little bit confusing to where that would be, but it was certainly a big talking point that I would give to donors from 2017 all the way to November 2020. And would be, you know, we're going to be prepared and we have a legal fund. It, uh, it meant that all the way from 2017 to 2020, the campaign was raising a legal defense fund, fund for the campaign, which, by the way, had almost no top on it, $817,000. We're not talking about the 2500 bucks. And then what, by Trump constantly saying Russia, 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 and all that kind of stuff, he could argue or probably would try that it's, I don't think it's legal, but I think he would argue and get himself out of real trouble or any major fines or any major jail time, basically saying that, that it, he had to defend himself legally in the public eye. So any situation where they're paying for, you know, uh, like email blasts or any of that stuff that you pay for from a campaign that goes to I'm being tormented by the impeachment committee or I'm being chased and hounded by the you know the Mueller investigation counted as an illegal expenditure um, and since he did it from a gold toilet the the toilet was uh, I don't know business machinery. Um, yeah, she said she would conduct what she called donor maintenance, which was talking to campaigns, largest donors and giving them updates and information on what was happening. But I wasn't, I would say during that time ever really, uh, like actively soliciting funds for anything. I was just more like talking with them about their thoughts and trying to relay information, just things were going on, going on at the time. Um, she clarified that when she said entities, she meant, uh, she meant Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell. We got to take a break. Um, it's it's uh, the Joan Esposito show. I'm Hal Sparks. I'm just filling in, and I'm glad to be here. This gets murkier every day, and there's a reason why Republicans are retreating away from Donald Trump at the fastest clip in their in their existence. We'll be back. Listen to the Tom Hartman Radio Program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Welcome back to the show. So um, a lot of... uh Noise has been made about the border lately and the uh, the uh, eliminating of title, uh, title 42 
there seems to be a lot of confusion going on um, around the numbers of people crossing the border and what's causing it and what's stopping it and the like. Now, Title 42 has been in place since the initial COVID lockdowns as a way of making people using a a health code declaration um, about infectious disease as a legal pivot point for keeping people out of the United States um, and being processed um, by crossing without, you know, their asylum claims or other things being adjudicated while they're outside the country. During that time, um, and, and, and quite frankly, after the creation of the Trump wall, if you listen to Republicans, the border has never been worse. <clears throat> Crossings at the border have never been worse. And if you track what that means, let's review. After the wall was built, the border has never been worse. And during the time that Title 42 has been in place, the border has never been worse. Now, it wasn't that bad before the wall, and it wasn't that bad before Title 42. Is there a reason? I know we finally got to uh, over a 1,000 on Twitch. Yay! I know, we're getting there. If you want to subscribe on Twitch, Amazon Prime doesn't cost you a dime. I'm just saying. Okay, so um, if the... If Title 42 and the wall are such a big help, why, why has the border gotten worse? Anybody? Now, I know it's a confusing thought. It's right up there with uh, a bunch of fentanyl was seized and that's terrible. The Republicans seem to be very upset every time a large uh, shipment of fentanyl is seized. As if it not being seized is somehow a plus. But uh, we, we all, it's very mind-boggling. We see this all the time. Anytime they, you know, the number of people caught by Border Patrol goes up, the assumption is, is that, you know, that's only 10% of it. They, only, they have to only be catching a little bit. When Trump was in office, the idea was is that if they caught a little bit, that was all of it. In the Biden administration, if they catch all of it, that's just a little bit of it. That's that's the standard we're talking about. But I am still confused, and perhaps somebody can call in and let me know from the right side of things and explain that why explain to me why the border is worse after the building of Trump's wall and during Title Forty Two. Much of the the wailing and gnashing of teeth has been about the fact that the Biden administration uh, wants to end Title Forty Two. It's no longer necessary. It's there's there's no legal basis for it. And uh, effectively, from a uh, infectious disease standpoint, it doesn't hold water at this point because of, you know, Americans largely being vaccinated and the like. Um, So if the numbers are up (coughs) during Title 42 um, and there aren't that many more people stampeding up there than there have been at any given time in history, There aren't that many more people passing through Mexico, let's say, to get here. Why are the numbers um, of people crossing through Mexico to go to the United States normal to 2017, 2018, or even 2015 numbers, but the number of crossings are way higher? Well, that would be because Title 42 uh, allows Customs and Border Patrol, when they find you, to 
turn you right around and send you right back to Mexico, where most people try again. We know that a third of the people who have crossed, who get caught crossing the border have tried at least three times. They've been caught already, fingerprinted, ID'd. They know who the person is. Another third have tried more than two times. And the other third have tried at least once already. So the numbers are staggering. The Republicans want you to believe that somebody who, one person who tried to cross the border four times equals four people crossing the border. And this is the artificially inflated number that Title 42 gives you at the border. And the reason uh, the Biden administration wants to end Title 42 is because it will get rid of that, uh, the illusion of mass crossings. The number of actual people crossing once they are either brought over, processed, allowed in or returned to their home country or returned to a country that they should have applied for asylum in. But when they first crossed into that country's borders, because that's the law, um, the number of people crossing the border will go down. But as long as you've got Title 42, the number of crossings versus the number of humans crossing um, will be way higher. And Republicans need that as a political pressure point. They can scare people about the border much easier when the number of crossings remains as high as possible. It's an illusion. We didn't always have Title 42. We didn't, have, we didn't always have these crossing numbers. It's, it's not even a mystery. Go down and ask the CBP people that are down there. They'll tell you they see the same people coming again and again and again and again and getting rejected, sent right back to Mexico to try again. And you will hear, keep, keep your ears open when you hear Republicans talking about the border. They will talk about the number of encounters and the number of crossings. They'll, they'll say the, 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 you'll occasionally hear the number of immigrants as a, as a very high number as well, where they'll kind of mishmash with those. But when they're being seriously questioned in any circumstance, they will talk about the number of encounters and the number of crossings being way up. Because there's a difference between, um, I'll give you an example. If you're, cl- if you're climbing a ladder, um, you still have two feet at the top, um, of the ladder, uh, you know, just like you did when you started at the bottom. You don't get a new foot for every rung you touch. That's the kind of math that Trump touted. That's the kind of math the, that the Republicans are using. If Title 42 ends and we start processing people who are here either as economic migrants or as uh, people seeking asylum, um, that number will dwindle. <coughs> and as you actually adjudicate cases and send people back who do not have legitimate asylum claims, the word spreads in in countries where they came from that you don't just automatically get in. And again, if you see someone on television saying the border is wide open, it's a Republican. There's not a single Democrat on the news. The entirety of the Biden administration that's gone on and said the border's wide open, come on in. But if you listen to anyone on the right, that's what they're saying. They will say that to a group of migrants to their face across the Mexican border. Republicans will say, yeah, the border is wide open. Nobody will even stop you, which is a lie. 
and endangers the lives of those people who attempt to cross the Rio Grande, for example. So, um, meanwhile, when we talk about asylum claims, uh, the BBC has a report coming, uh, that just came out um, that as China eases some of its COVID travel restrictions, a lot of Chinese people are fleeing the country and are attempting to come to the United States via the southern border by going to places like Ecuador and then working their way up. There's a lot of conversations on WeChat and, and Chinese social media about what the process would be to get to the southern border, talk to Chinese dissidents within the United States, and be met with sponsors so that they could file an asylum claim at the southern border. Um, three days, uh, this, is, uh, this is from the BBC. Uh, three days into their trek through Central American rainforest, some 9,300 miles away from home, the Sun family threw away their camping gear to lighten the load, thinking they, uh, they would be out by nightfall. Instead, they were stranded in the jungle by heavy rain. That night, uh, Sun Jinsai, his wife and three children, aged 6, 9, and 11, squeezed into a small tent they found on the trail, likely discarded by other migrants like themselves, while trying to get, do their best to ignore the cold water uh, seeping through the thin fabric. Luckily, none of us got sick, said Mr. Sun. It was one of the most perilous steps on the journey from China to the U.S. Sun 34, his wife, and his youngest child used to spend the better part of a year living on the coast of China where jobs were abundant. The other two children live with their grandparents about 400 miles away in Jiangxi, a landlocked province in China's east, as it is hard to enroll in school outside their hometown. But as the Chinese economy lost momentum and tough COVID-19 restrictions and a growing tide of authoritarianism gripped the country, Mr. Sun decided, uh, began searching for ways for for the family to leave the country together. China's going backwards, Mr. Sun said. My wife and I want a better future for the kids. And this is exactly the kind of immigrant that the United States traditionally welcomes. People who are fleeing authoritarian governments who want to make a better life for them and their children. And the method that they're using, partly because the Chinese government keeps an eye on people who are flying to the United States and, well, if you try to take your whole family with you, won't allow it. So you have to fly someplace that isn't on their radar and then try to make your way up. This is the only option they have. And they certainly can't apply for asylum inside China. And again, those, those people crossing, that man, his wife, his three children, all of them, you know, uh, under middle school age, um, those folks, they're like the Republicans would like a. They may try a couple of times to get across the border, so they're fifteen people on paper, fifteen military aged males who are going to commit terrorism, according to Republicans. Now, when they get here, they may have their asylum case adjudicated and be allowed in the country, or. They may have dissidents in the United States or in Canada um, help them trans, you know, like transit through the United States and go live in Canada, which happens a lot as well. But the but the Republicans themselves, this the this reliance on Title Forty Two, and this idea that there's just a a flood of migrants coming across and it's the biggest number you've ever seen in your life, is them messing with the numbers for political purposes. And the end of Title 42 will add some clarity to the number of people who are actually there, not the number of times they actually try to cross. 
Uh, we got to take a break, um, and I'll be back right after this. Our number is 773-763-9278. In the third hour, I will be taking a bunch of calls, so be prepared. And in the next hour, uh, my dear friend Philip Bittner will be joining us um, from Ukraine. He's in Kiev. He joins me regularly on my Saturday show and on my morning live stream on Wednesdays. Um, and it, we're going to be discussing a lot of what's going on there, the, the sort of current state of the war and the current state of American support for it and the value of uh, of that fight itself. He'll be joining us at the top of the next hour. So we'll be back right after this. Uh, this is Joan Esposito show. I'm Hal Sparks. I'm just visiting, but I'll do my best to try and make it entertaining and informative today. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. Welcome back to the show. This is the Joan Esposito Show. I'm Hal Sparks. I'm just filling in today. Uh, she's got fill-ins tomorrow and Friday, and then she'll be back next week uh, after the, you know, she's, she, she's got her system down. I got I to gotta look into this whole taking a vacation thing. It's, I think it's going to grow on, on me after a while. I, I've never really tried it before, but I, I might have to, I'll check it out. I, if somebody's got a pamphlet on the whole how to take a vacation and what it entails, I'm I'd love to hear it. Um, by the way, we have a caller online. Uh, Liberal Dan is joining us. Um, Liberal Dan, you there? Yeah, I'm here. How's it going, Hal? Uh, good. How are you? Welcome. Glad I'm you could doing, be here. I'm, I'm doing really well. Um, I'm just getting over a little bit of a cold or whatever, but i got that lingering. Gee, what's that like? Oh, I, I know. <laughs> I, I know you had that, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's... it's it's been, you know, wonderful living the dream. Everything, everything's good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't heard you talk about much about this. About have you noticed a change in like either the algorithm on on Twitter? Because I'm seeing like a lot mm-hmm. more conservative stuff recently. Um, it seems like he. My my thing is, like, I think Elon has really tried to push up the toxicity of Twitter beyond what it used to be, beyond the standard, just to yeah. get. More hit. There, there is one thing, one thing in particular, which is the trending on there. Um, there was a, there was a period where, um, and it, it still works this way. But if you, if you click on the three dots on the side of a trend and you say not interested, um, in theory, it should go away. Right. <laughs> it should leave your feed. And when Elon Musk took over for a, you know, for a couple of days. It worked as directed. It never had before. It was always glitchy. And um, right. and now it's terrible. It almost takes the fact that you click on it as a sign that you're, you know, that it's got your interest. If it's something terrible and you have no interest in seeing, you know, whatever is in that topic because it's just gross. Um, if right. you click on it, it will say, oh, this made you click on something. That's an active user. Therefore, the more I show them this stuff, the more they'll click no on it, which means their eyeballs are locked to the screen, which means ad rev. And that was, you know, he's definitely been, definitely been messing with that. You'll also see um, they switched on something where if you if somebody you follow read something, it starts to show up in your feed. Well, a lot of you know, I and people like you and and the people that we would likely follow, we we give a certain amount of attention to the awful that is there because we're referring to it or we're responding to it or we're pushing back um, or or dragging it or whatever. And that adds it to your feed. 
because more, you know, I'm sure to some degree conservatives uh, would arguably say the same thing because they're seeing, you know, if, if one, somebody on their side responded to something you or I tweet, um, they're going to see it in their feed. And they're like, why am I seeing all this lefty stuff? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's been great. I've, I've gotten, like, Kyle Rittenhouse and Marjorie Taylor Greene, like, crazy right. in my feed. And, and well, he's definitely boosting Kyle. He's definitely yeah. boosting Kyle on purpose. It, there are a couple yeah. that he's absolutely giving a lift to, no question. Um, whether Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is in that category, it's hard to say. Although, uh, Musk seems to... Um, like playing footsie with her and her account and her thought forms a lot. I mean, he, I think he appreciates her QAnon angle, quite frankly, more than he lets on. Right. Because a couple of times he's popped in, be it was, whether it was the Paul Pelosi um, story or any of that stuff, he's piped in with very QAnon adjacent garbage at any given time. And it's very, I mean, it's Almost note for note, what shows up on on Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, Telegram feed, for example, it's almost like he's cribbing it from her. So um, that doesn't surprise me. There's definitely him boosting individuals because he can. Yeah, well, I mean, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for letting me on. Um, I yeah. you a happy New Year uh, because of you. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I had actually Phil on my show a few weeks back, and that was awesome. Um, Excellent. And, yeah, yeah. So I hope you have a Fantastic. happy New Year, and I hope we can get, well, you, I hope we can uh, get you on mine sometime soon when you're not as when you have a free week. <laughs> Indeed, if if indeed I ever do um, these days, but absolutely glad to do it. Very interested. Um, so uh, cool. Well, let's um, uh, let's we'll plan it in the in the new year. Uh, we'll make it happen. Um, right, thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, little Dan. Thanks so much. Our number is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. This is a Joan Esposito show, and I'm Hal Sparks, and I'm filling in. Um, there is a um, you know, there's been a there's been a big fear, quite frankly, um, in regard to the. You know, Elon Musk's quote unquote control over Twitter. Um, but I got to say, there's been as much blowback and and sort of a careful what you wish for trend in terms of what, you know, what Musk is experiencing, um, both in response to his tweets and his messages. And quite frankly, what has happened to Tesla stock, which brings us to, you know, obviously that uh, huge story, which is. You know, an embarrassment in and of itself. All by itself, it would be terrible. Um, but Tesla stock is, <laughs> excuse me, currently at what a hundred and hundred twelve dollars. <throat> it's 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 lingering around there. It has lost seventy percent of its worth uh, this year so far. Word on the street is that everyone's expecting it sometime in January to dip below a hundred. Um, I, as I see people talk about this stuff, as I see, you know, the, the multitude of discussions that they have, um, about, you know, what, where Tesla's going in the stock world, um, I sort of like Trump's truth social and, and the SPAC that funds it, I am hard pressed to find any value in it at all. And I don't mean that just to be snarky. I mean, literally, there was a period um, and it was way back during the Obama administration when uh, Obama helped Tesla get off the ground, 
with uh, funding they wouldn't have gotten without the the 2008 crash and the insistence on the Obama-Biden administration to support electric car manufacturers while bailing out the big three as part of that package, which, by the way, Republicans hated at the time and thought we shouldn't be picking winners and losers, especially around electric cars. And now they're big Elon Musk avites. And the, the question I have is on a material level, as far as, I mean, I guess to some degree, it was able to return dividends to its stockholders to some degree, simply, in a, I guess, in a Ponzi scheme to take funds from the incoming stock purchases, which were way overvalued, and just use that way overvalued stock purchase to pay uh, everyone a, a dividend that was higher than it warranted from their profit, you know, from, from their genuine profits. Um, that's obviously that's got to run about uh, run out at some point. But it seems that um, I, I'm just hard pressed to find out why that stock would be worth, say, more than thirty five dollars for what? There was a period when Tesla was an innovating company where it was on the cutting edge of interior design and battery life and all that kind of stuff. The heyday of, of the, you know, the expanding fleet of available uh, Tesla vehicles and the, the battery pack on the wall that you could get, which, by the way, is a stack of rechargeable AA size lithium ion batteries all chained together. Basically, that's that's what you're getting. And just like the ones you use in an Xbox controller that recharges and just lots of them. And they're just all linked together, you know, in a, in a big daisy chain. That's it. Um, that, that was a period where you felt like every time you turn around, Tesla was either announcing some new feature or showing off some sort of quality and aesthetic design, much more akin to, you know, Apple's advances in what the iPad or the iPhone or the, the Mac itself look like over time, where they upgrade the kind of modern quality of them. And then that just died because Musk decided to chase <laughs> primarily <coughs> the, the idea that um, automation, that self-driving cars are the, uh, uh, is the top of the market. That, that when people think about buying a car, an electric car, or a car in the future, their biggest purchase desire will be based on the idea that the car drives itself. Um, that's ridiculous. The, the primary reason to purchase a vehicle is not so that you never have to drive it. It, it, it hasn't been... And it will not be for a very long time. And so they gave up on the technological innovation that comes from, you know, what Tesla was producing that was interesting everyone. Never mind the fact that he was chasing off his very customers by being rude to them on Twitter and 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 cozying up to people who would never buy an electric car because they think it negatively affects their testosterone. And this includes Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, go easy. And, and beyond just the marketing idiocy of it, but that they chased, this, chased the automation element with R&D more fervently than, they, than battery life. That, you know, they just stopped expanding in the areas that 
that affected the consumer the most. How far will the car go? What's the ride like? What are the available, uh, you know, after, you know, the, the extras that you can get? They just kind of started blowing that part off, or he did, directing the company to focus largely on, on the auto drive part. And it's a mistake. It's a, it was a dumb business decision. It artificially created, because it, it, it was such cutting-edge uh, new technology, and it was mind-boggling if it would work, that it drove a lot of attention and a lot of investment. But it turned out to be a bunch of balloon juice, and it is effectively the crypto of the auto world. And so there is no material reason why Tesla's stock is worth more than $35 a share. No one seems to be able to provide a convincing reason on any of the economic websites I've looked into why in the world Tesla is worth $112, much less $250, much less $400 a share as an auto company. It ain't Google. It ain't Apple. It's got single products in, in one ecosystem, and that's it. One of the only things keeping it up as high as it was, government contracts selling electric semis to the government. And, and was Trump buying a bunch of electric semis? No. You know who's buying a lot of electric vehicles for the federal fleet? Joe Biden, a man that Elon Musk attempts dunk on 10 times a day in the most grotesque, ageist way. It's absurd. That's why the stock's taking a dive. That and the crypto idiots need to pull some money out to pay their bills. We'll be back uh, at the top of the next hour. Uh, Philip Bittner will be joining us from Kiev, and we will be discussing uh, all things Ukraine. And then in the following hour, taking your call, I'm Hal Sparks, filling in for Joan Esposito. We'll be back. The Rick Smith Show, live, weeknights from 8 to 10 p.m. Look at what's happening. The Rick Smith Show on WCPT 820. Everyone is talking about it. Chicago's progressive talk. Attention, everyone. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, live from Chicago. Actor, comedian, and multimedia personality, Al Sparks. Welcome to the show, and joining us right now is my dear friend Philip Itner, who is in Kiev, uh, who got to enjoy, uh, I think, two air raid sirens on Christmas Day while uh, he was there. Christmas, yeah. And, and Santa was not bringing us toys. He, no, no. Dead Maroz, yeah. Uncle, uh, Grandfather Frost out of Russia, was bringing that's, us that's uh, missiles on, on Christmas. Right. Yes. Well, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Philip Itner uh, has uh, been on my show several times. He was on, uh, he's been on Tom Hartman's show and others. And uh, hopefully I'm introducing him to some new uh, audience members as I fill in for Joan Esposito today. I'm Hal Sparks, and uh, I'll be with you till the end of the show. And she's got two people filling in for her. She'll be back next week because she's good at taking vacations, and I am not. Now, there is so much to cover about what's happening in Ukraine, <clears throat> not the least of which is this thing about... Uh, Russian oligarchs and gravity. Um, <laughs> do we have do we have a current head count? I think it, I think oh, my count at this point is thirty five, three dozen. Yeah, yeah. It's somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Um, that are um, just uh, this. The last one 
was uh, openly criticizing the the special military, um, uh, I guess, baller, ballet that they're doing. I don't know what's the lovely word that they use for it these days in, that Russia is doing. And then uh, one of his advance team was poisoned the day mm-hmm. before he got there or the day he got there. In the immediate run-up, yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> you don't, you, when your advance team dies, you don't turn around and go home. I'm just saying. <laughs> that that I mean, seems like the strategy. Isn't that why you have them? Yeah, it's, it's, but they've been dropping, I mean, they have literally been dropping dead left, right, or center um, uh, mm-hmm. almost every other week, maybe three or four times a month. You know, there's there's somebody else who uh, has been speaking out against uh, the Kremlin or uh, the right. special, you know, special operation in, in Ukraine. And they uh, run afoul. Now, it's normally it's been uh, kind of guys in the energy sector for obvious reasons or guys mm-hmm. in the defense sector for obvious reasons. This guy was mm-hmm. the sausage king, apparently. Right. But he was, he was the Abe Froman of St. Petersburg. That's right. That's right. But he was he was rich and he was and he was vocal and uh, that now he's uh, dead. Apparently. Yeah, that uh, apparently will give you a a severe allergy to gravity. So. Right. It's it's amazing. It's amazing to me. Like um, and by the way, this is apparently not the only it seems like maybe they've just run out of oligarch money together because I'm sure you've heard about the bank runs currently going on in Russia that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, I, let me let me introduce myself to to, to Jill's uh, yeah. audience a little bit. I've been I've been com- I was a CBS radio reporter and producer in uh, Yeltsin's uh, Russia at the end of the 90s and the beginning of of the aughts. So I saw the rise to power of Vladimir Putin. And I've been coming to Ukraine for 21 years. <clears throat> Pardon me. I've got the gunk, uh, mm-hmm. as you do. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but I've been coming to Ukraine for 21 years. My first visit here was Pope John Paul II when he came here. I was on Maidan Square uh, in 2014 when the uh, the the uprising against uh, a Kremlin stooge who was in power here uh, and then was subsequently replaced. And uh, this whole period of of conflict between Russia and Ukraine just, you know, obviously this year has, 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 you know, become a full fledged uh, war across the entire country. So that, those are my bona fides. That's where I come from. I have a YouTube channel. People can check out. I don't know how, did you see my Christmas video? I just, I put up on Christmas day. Unfortunately, I did problems, but I understood. I did, yeah. but I didn't. I, I will. I will retweet it so people can see it again. It's long. Um, yeah. It's long, but mm-hmm. it's got chapters. But basically, I've been coming here for a long time. I know the uh, the Russians. I know the Ukrainians. I speak uh, Russian badly, admittedly. Um, and I and I and I live here. And I'm a veteran of broadcast journalism: CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, Sky News in the UK, and these kind of places. So. I came here not to be on their dime, but rather to um, live with the Ukrainian people and um, and give a different kind of perspective into what the news is happening uh, here on the ground and kind of give more what it's like to to live here, really. And um, it's been a it's been a privilege and a humbling experience because the Ukrainian people are just amazingly resilient and no no more so than this last Christmas season. 
where they basically said it is a form of resistance for us to feel joy and love and right. uh, and the holiday spirit. So they did just that. Um, so it's it's been amazing. Um, but uh, sorry, what do you mm-hmm. what what? To- yeah, so there, shoot me a topic couple- and we'll talk about it. Yeah, one of them is just the 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 sanctions taking hold and the the you know the cap on Russian oil has created a situation where Russia's just saying we're not going to sell to anybody who agrees to the cap and you're like and and the rest of those countries are like yeah we know we're already not buying your stuff we're just making it amongst ourselves we know that was the point kind of there you know Russia was sort of picking up the slack in what the Europeans were trying to accomplish by not spreading it. But there was news, and I don't know if you've heard about it there or what your take on it is in particular, that the that Russia is freezing the accounts of people and effectively turning their savings accounts into war bonds. Um, mm-hmm. And that there's video coming out of bank rushes uh, all over Russia and people kicking ATM machines because they have no money in them. Yeah. Well, there's a history of Russia doing this um, mm-hmm. and allowing corporations to do this under their basically um, mm-hmm. Russia is run as a kleptocracy. So under the umbrella of the government, oftentimes companies will not pay their employees, for example. They will mm-hmm. um, they'll get, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they don't. They'll have tax agreements where they don't necessarily have to pay their taxes, um, all in service to the state. Uh, and mm-hmm. in this time of crisis, apparently they're doing it again. And so there's there's the concern that maybe pensions, for example, for for senior citizens, what we would, what, you know, uh, uh, our, our um, Social Security, uh, their pensions, uh, this will suddenly stop being paid. And the government will mm-hmm. say, well, we're in a crisis situation um, we'll, you know, you'll get it back when the situation changes and you just have to live with it. That's how things mm-hmm. kind of operate in Russia. I remember back in the nineties where people wouldn't be paid for months on end. Mm. Uh, and it's just, we have the power. And, uh, if we decide not to pay you for six months, there's very little you can do in, in, in reaction to it. And so it looks like Putin is, is kind of bringing that nineties, uh, uh, right procedure well, back there... into practice and uh we'll see how it plays because that's one of the reasons putin got in was was this instability of the 90s he was promised Yeltsin was effectively doing that and he was going to fix that part of it and now they're reacting exactly. you know they might have a, but he's got a stronger hand arguably than yeltsin as far as people's fear of him yes so he might be able to Very hang on to power so. during this but there's still people like video upon video i keep seeing of people like uh, screaming at ATM machines and calling ATMs. them anti-gay yeah. epithets, right? Because there's just no money in them, and there won't be. Um, th- so the, no. and that's on top of us hearing, you know, stories of soldiers not being paid and the like. And and I, mm-hmm. you, you know me, I I scour the pro-Russian Telegram channels, which are I have to say, doing their level best to put a, a shine and a spin on this stuff, and mm-hmm. still you can see in their reaction to stuff their frustration their anger growing every day at at putin and the and you know i guess his circle i wouldn't call it an administration at this point um obviously we're everybody's wondering when enough will be enough and and it'll be hard you know it's hard to tell i know you've said that russia has a history of like a long wind up before anything actually occurs yeah, the way I put it is in in Russian history, which does tend to kind of repeat itself. Nothing happens, nothing happens, and then everything happens all at once. 
Right. And then nothing happens and then nothing happens and then nothing happens and then everything happens all at once. Right. And so it just history of revolution repeat. Right. Yeah, it's just revolu- um, it, it, you, the people take it as long as they can. And then when they can't take it anymore, um, uh, then there's a revolution. And instead of uh, letting the steam off the, off the pressure cooker, uh, Russian authorities don't seem to learn from this. And it there's these massive, I don't want to say explosion, giving the context, but uh, right. there's a revolution that happens. So we'll we'll see what happens in 2023. Right. When this really a lot of this starts coming home to roost in a big way, because, again, you know, financially, um, there's a time where they were like they knew this was starting. They they knew that Europe was starting to move in the direction of, say, kicking them off the SWIFT system. So they backfilled as best they could to protect themselves against it, thinking the problem is, I think their ego fed them an idea that it would only be they would only need about three months cushion Mm -hmm. and they're going to need about Mm -hmm. a decade by the time this is done, and they just, it's not, it's not possible to have. No, they don't um, have it. They don't, no, that's impossible. Well, they, I really do believe they thought this was going to be a, a swift engagement, that they would sweep into Ukraine, and, and that it would be a matter of days, maybe a couple of weeks, and that they would be in, mm-hmm. in Kiev. The, it, the delusional level of the Russians uh, it was just a massive miscalculation because it, the, and then also by Zelensky not leaving the capital at the beginning of the war and creating mm-hmm. a proper resistance, um, you know, th- that gave then the international community the opportunity to take some distance and some breathing room and go, okay, we're going to back this guy. Whereas if there were Russian tanks on the central square in Kiev within 72 hours, the international community would have said, well, it's a fait accompli. It's done now. now they w- there would have been much uh, wringing of hands and gnashing of teeth. But ultimately, Putin, I think, was hoping that, that it would be such a swift victory that it would be, you know, the international community not responding. Well, I, I uh, think know, he was counting the on Trump's. Not responding. Or right. Trump. Or Trump's on- still in. Yeah. Yeah. He was, a, Trump, a, a sec- he, was, he, was, he was hoping that it would be reactionary, whereas what it turned out to be was proactive and the international right. community saying, no, we're going to back this guy. So right. he didn't right. expect and, that. Putin. And Trump could have kept the kept NATO and the United States military on its heels just long enough. I don't think he could have held out forever, mm-hmm. but held it just long enough to give Russia enough time to take Kiev. That being slow mm-hmm. on the jump or even, quite frankly, like you said, proactive in terms of, you know, it was the Biden administration telling Zelensky, no, they're really coming this time. Zelensky was like, I don't think they're going to do it because they amassed at the border multiple times. But our intel was saying, no, this time they mean it and they're coming. And it turned out to be right. And it was the Biden administration being ahead of that curve and talking to our NATO partners beforehand and saying, we're going to need to back these guys because it's going to be bad. And it turned out to be the truth. we got to take a break. We'll be back right after this. It's the Joan Esposito Show. I'm Hal Sparks filling in. Um, Follow Philip Itner uh, if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more. Um, Philip with one L, Itner with two T's um, on Twitter as long as it lasts. We'll be back right after this. Um. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Welcome back to the show. I'm Hal Sparks. I'm filling in for Joan Esposito with me is my friend Philip Ittner. He's live in Kiev. And we were just discussing during the break um, that in one of the uh, pro-Russian telegram channels that I keep track of, that feeds 
sort of information about how things are going. Um, a, a a person who purports to be, and you always have to take these things with a grain of salt, purports to be someone inside the security detail, was saying that um, Putin had another one of his video roundtable meetings with his military commanders, and instead of glowering at them like he has been while they tell him stuff he knows to be BS about what's happening in any particular front or especially in the Kherson region and around Crimea, he uh, he just yelled a bunch of ex- of expletives and hung up. And I, I, it's hard to say if that points to a new tr- you know a, a direction for him or if this is just a blip like a lot of other weird moments that he seems to have. Um, but they but he seems to be angrily swearing at people, and it is reminiscent of what we're finding out from the January six transcripts about. Trump's final days in office where he shifted from being, you know, just a jerk to losing it, to screaming expletives yeah. at people nonstop. And it and these guys are, I guess, well, kind of cut. They're the same both cloth. bullies. They're yeah. both bullies. They're both bullies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you and when you and when things go don't go the way a bully wants them to go, he will he will lash out. Uh, and then ultimately, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, as we're hopefully fingers crossing with Trump, uh, there will mm-hmm. come a day when Putin is no longer a scary guy, but is uh, right. is either, you know, uh, locked away somewhere or is the widespread uh, uh, pariah that he deserves to be. So, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, what's weird about that, Hal, is that is that also there's I'm seeing fraying on the edges of an awful lot of the way Russia operates or has operated during the Putin era. Mm-hmm. And so leaks coming from the Kremlin five years ago would have been seen, would have been seen to be, you know, just outrageous. It would have, right. it would have stolen, it would have stolen front pages. Uh, there would have been an entire news cycle concerned about oh, how, Putin Oh my dra- goodness. Putin put a bag over a dude's head and dragged him out of the room. For uh, based yeah, on yeah. His <laughs> literally, did. yeah, that's yeah, right. literally yeah. in one of the yeah. meetings, like, it was like, yeah. yeah, it was like the untouchables and he's walking around with a bat. Um, that, yeah. that would have been the norm. Um, if any, if anything was, got it, out, it, nothing, nothing got out of the Kremlin. And, uh, you know, well, I mean, it was rare for a thing to come out of the Kremlin. Now we're seeing it almost, you know, on a regular schedule, things are coming out and they're not. I, I, I go back to the, um, you know, he, the news about him having somebody who checks his feces when he's traveling or right. him falling down the stairs and relieving himself. Um, right. Defecating down call, the. Pa- yeah. Yeah. All of this would never have come out uh, even five years ago, especially directly targeting Putin and his behavior. That kind of thing was absolutely unheard of so that is not something we should easily disregard that is a when the when the tapestry that is russia starts to fray on the edges again Mm -hmm. it is this thing of like nothing happens nothing happens and then everything happens when you start to see the circle the shark circling the alpha uh not to Mm -hmm. mix too many metaphors here but you know you you know that things are already in motion because otherwise they wouldn't even start to circle. So I think we have to pay attention to the fact that the the Kremlin 
is, is leaking significantly. And then I think we also have to look at this attitude that I see growing in Russia of who's to blame? Who's to blame? It's your mm-hmm. fault. A lot of finger pointing, a lot of like, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Um, right. and, and that's, again, something you don't see in Russia and, and at a time of war, uh, all the more so. So I think we're mm-hmm. starting to see that snowball, again, another right. metaphor, heading right. down the hill, and will it gather snow and eventually, you know, hit hit the ground, and we'll see where mm-hmm. that shakes out with Russia and with Putin? I mean, I don't know, but this is... This is we're in unprecedented territory. This is right. this war is I've covered wars for 25 years uh, over more than 25 years. And I have said to many of my colleagues in the press corps for the last year, this is the without a doubt, the most historic war that I will probably ever cover in my life. Now, mind you, right. I hope this to be my last war that I cover. Right. But of all the so wars I, that the I've covered in my professional career. Yeah, I, I hope uh, it's the last one you have to uh, deal with, too. Yeah, me too. But th- there's never been – this is the most enormous historic war in in absolutely in decades. And uh, I, I think I would be safe in saying even going back to the Second World War, although we could have a debate about that. But um, mm-hmm. but it's certainly enormously historic. And right. uh, we're, we're – this is – this is going to change an awful lot. The, not, the Europe, the continent of Europe, and and by default, the globe, will not be the same after the end of this war. One way or the other, because right. if the Russians win, it won't be the same. And if the Ukrainians resist and the Russians crash mm-hmm. on that shore that is Ukraine, um, Russia won't be the same. And right. then by default, everything will be different. So there is, we're witnessing history, yeah. Hal. Yeah, there is. So and and which brings us to and we'll we'll probably have to discuss this on both sides of the break. But uh, the the negotiation terms that, uh, you know, Mm. there was there's there's been a couple of times, one back in March, um, maybe six weeks in where Russia was floating this idea that we're willing to talk and we want to talk. And the reason they they either no seem to be (laughs) seeding this. idea Yeah, um, that they're that they need to regroup. Um, which is one of the reasons they want to stop and talk um, or but they, it, tell tell everybody about their kind of baseline negotiation point, what they want. What do the Russians want? But as, among as other a things, minimum, uh, um, right. Among other things, what the Russians have <laughs> said, uh, Lavrov, the the foreign secretary, uh, the foreign minister of uh, Russia, um, yeah. recently came out and said, as a starting point, Ukraine must recognize the independence of all of these um, massive provinces in the east where they had a forced referendum. The Russians right. had a forced referendum where they literally went door to door with weapons, with automatic weapons, and said, uh, pointed, pointed weapons at people. Whose side are you on? In essence, right. and said, vote. Do you want to be with us, the guys with, who are standing in front of you with the Kalashnikov, or do you want to mm-hmm. vote to be part of Kiev? I mean, no mm-hmm. one in their right mind would consider that a legitimate referendum. But Lavrov, right. the, the foreign minister, is saying as a precondition to talks, Ukraine must recognize that those territories are now part of Russia. And this is why Ukrainians will not start negotiations um, mm-hmm. in, 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 in earnest, because um, – they 
if you let the Russians do that, if they were to acquiesce to that, the argument that the Ukrainians have, who know their enemy far better than anybody else on this planet, the Ukrainians know the Russians better than anybody else on the planet because mm-hmm. um, they've lived with them for centuries. Uh, they know very well that if the Russians are able to regroup, have some advantage to this war, then in five or ten years, they'll just do it again. They'll never stop coming for Ukraine because Ukraine, as the as the gem in their imperial crown, is their colony of most worth, will never be allowed to break away from under the thumb of Moscow. Right. Is the impression, is what the Russians believe, and the Ukrainians understand that the Russians believe that, and so they will not um, give an inch, uh, frankly. Uh, they're, they're, mm-hmm. Ultimately, there may have to be negotiations in which territories maybe come under a special... I don't know. We're well away from that. We are so far right. away from that at this point. But the Ukrainian position, because they know the history of the occupier and their yeah. colonial master, um, that if you let them get away with it, they'll come back. And and having yep. lived in Russia and studied Russia for a quarter century, I would be willing to side with the Ukrainians on this one. The, the right. Russians must be resisted on this or they'll just come back. Yeah, and I have a big question about uh, what a huge turning point that could occur right after we come back. We're, uh, I'm filling in for Joan Esposito. I'm Hal Sparks. This is Philip Inner. He's live in Kiev right now. Um, uh, follow him on Twitter. We'll be back right after this. of Joliet has been the number one volume Volkswagen dealer in Illinois for the past six years. If you haven't experienced Hawk Volkswagen for yourself, now is a great time. Choose from a huge selection of new Volkswagen models like Jetta, Passat, Tiguan, Atlas, and Atlas Cross Sport. Over 30 of each in stock. All the hard-to-find trim levels and colors, all are ready for immediate delivery. Outstanding service, selection, and a first-class experience. That's why they're the number one in Illinois. Hawk Volkswagen on Jefferson Street in Joliet. Online at hawkvw.com. Claim based on 2016 through 2021 retail sales. Uh, We'll be back right after this. Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. I need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. Welcome back to the show. I'm House Parks. I'm filling in for uh, Joan Esposito. She'll be back on Monday. Uh, other people will be filling in the rest of the week, and they will do fine. You're in good hands. You'll be all right. If you want to uh, follow what I do, you can go to infotainmentwars.com or fwank.com. Uh, not to be conf- confused with Mike Pillow's frank speech, uh, fwank.com, F-W-A-N-Q.com. We'll take you to my Twitch channel. Um, now, uh, before we went to break, we were talking about the kind of deal or no deal coming out of Russia, which um, it seems that their their baseline is let us keep what we stole already. and that, mm-hmm. And then we promise – not to ever attack again. And we, we've been so believable so far that you can totally trust us. The, um, <laughs> the, I mean, there's a myriad of issues with that. One of which is 
where does that go when Ukraine gets Crimea back? Because there is a very strong chance that they will be able to do that yeah. in the next couple of months. Or at the very least, though, that, that Crimea will come under the um, the acceptable distance for HIMARS uh, attacks, right. the HIMARS system that the Americans gave mm-hmm. to the Ukrainians, these long-distance uh, artillery pieces, which has been an absolute game-changer. If they can mm-hmm. get within shooting distance of Crimea and then bring <clears> – so – if Ukraine is able to do a couple of things, if they're able to get the HIMARS within shooting distance of Crimea, and if they're able and they're very close to getting it, control of the taps to the um, the water canal that lend, that gives fresh water from the um, from the Dnieper River, and there's a river, there's a uh, water reservoir um, mm-hmm. that controls a pipeline, a canal that goes down to Crimea. Crimea notoriously is very bad for hydration. It's it's not. It doesn't have uh, soil that absorbs water well. It is it it, it it's surrounded by salt water. Um, it needs fresh water, and the Ukrainians control the taps, or they will control very soon, most likely, mm-hmm. the taps to that canal. So, those two things, I think, the control of the fresh water supply, and when the HIMARS are in shooting distance of Crimea, that is going to exacerbate this issue because Crimea is in many ways. um, I know we have talked about this on your show many times, Hal, but uh, just to to kind of talk about a little bit now, um, catch people up if they haven't, if they, you know, who who may or may not have been privy to our conversations. Um, I believe that that there is a huge chunk of this war that is, is really about the uh, Russian naval base in Sevastopol on the Crimean Mm -hmm. peninsula. It is a Mm -hmm. quarter of all of Russia's naval uh, capacity. It would be like the Americans losing Diego Garcia in the Indian ocean. I don't equate it with uh, Guantanamo because Guantanamo is not strategically as important as, as Diego Garcia for the Americans. And I argue that Sevastopol is a huge part of the motivation for Russia's um, land seizure because they can't lose that fleet. Now, there are other things. There's the oil reserves we talked about. There's um, there's a whole sense of like empire and colony. Uh, There are a lot of motivations for this war. But Crimea is fundamental. They in order to support Crimea. They also have to have this land bridge because the, 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 the bridge that they built across what's called the Kerch Straitway uh, not only uh, wasn't working to begin with and was not sufficient to supply the needs to the peninsula, but also was sinking into the sea. Um, <laughs> but uh, now it is completely unusable because the Ukrainians shelled it or attacked it and, and blew it up. So um, they're in a hard spot, the Russians, when it comes to Crimea, which is almost essential to their sense of self and their strategic um, priorities, um, uh, you know, uh, in their entire federation. So if the Ukrainians are actually able to seal that off or indeed to even venture into reconquering it pre-2014 borders, um, Russia is going to have a massive reaction to that. Massive. Right. It will be, it will be a huge existential threat. And so that's why a lot of people are saying, even if you are able to resecure the Donbass, the section in the east of Ukraine, which which broke away because Russia flooded it with weapons in 2014, even mm-hmm. if you're able to resecure that Kiev, 
um, you know, that is not nearly the existential threat that will come if you actually go for Crimea. And that makes a lot of people nervous. In, twi- in 2023, will we see Ukrainian troops advancing on Crimea? I think it's almost, uh, I mean, it, it's a safe bet. Um, uh, but how the Russians will react is yet to be seen. So we bring Mm -hmm. it back to this negotiations issue that you, you tossed the ball to me about. Right. And when it comes to the negotiations, I don't think either side is actually operating in good faith. We're not anywhere near a, a situation where we can sit down, uh, and have Ukrainians and Russians hash out a peace. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, the Ukrainians have proposed an idea of maybe something being mediated uh, through the UN. I just don't see that happening because they're, both sides are coming from a distance that's so far away from one another right. that uh, from the start, from the get-go, won't right. be acceptable to either side. And we can well, go you into the depths to be, of that. You, I don't you know have to you trust. Know. You have to trust that the other side will hold up their end of the bargain. And there is no reason to believe that Russia will. Like they brag about it. Like they, when 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 the per- people you're negotiating with, uh, their uh, their baseline is um, we get to keep everything we've taken so far, and you can't fight for any more of it and get it back. Um, and then they talk about openly on their television shows. The wiping out of your entire people all the time. Mm -hmm. How do you negotiate in good faith with someone who brags about their capacity for genocide? (coughs) The Ukraine, by the way, Ukrainians aren't doing this. They aren't doing it on their TV shows. Their politicians aren't doing it. None of them are saying we need to get rid of Russia as an, you know, it's an existential threat to humanity and it needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. But the Russians are on state television. The, you know, that that there's a huge difference. And, and I don't know how you sit across the table from someone who says our, our baseline is we want to take everything we've stolen. And, um, our ultimate goal is the eradication of you as a people, period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is what where, they're saying. Where's your story? And, and also, yeah. and, and also, and also, the audience should understand that this is not something that began uh, because of NATO expansion. This isn't something about Nazism. The 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 conflict between Russia and Ukraine has been going on for at least two hundred years. Um, mm-hmm. There has been a, an, a Ukrainian independence movement for the greater part of the 19th century, well into the 20th century. And now, obviously, with a free and independent Ukraine that wants to maintain its independence, um, there is still resistance to Russia. This is not a new thing, and it is not bound to NATO ex- expansionism or even uh, Russian claims of Nazis in Ukraine. Those are just non-starters. It's an excuse right. for Russia to reexert its influence over a colony. That's all this mm-hmm. is. It's at the at the base of it. There's strategic geopolitical and strategic interests involved, but at the at the base of it is that there are these two countries that have been locked together, and one has been abusing the other for centuries, and the one who is being abused has said for centuries, "We don't like this. We don't want to be part of this anymore." Um, but Russia has continued to put it under uh, uh, Ukraine under its thumb, and, and the Ukrainians mm-hmm. have just said no. So, right. um, you know, uh, we're, um, the, the negotiations, when Lavrov says you have to accept that these provinces are now ours in this sham referendum that we held, on the Ukrainian side of the equation, they are, uh, Zelensky has put forward a 10-point 
program, a 10-point preconditions for negotiation. And they include things that I am sure the Ukrainians, knowing their enemy very well, know are unacceptable to Moscow. But they are, at the same time, completely legitimate. Such things as, we want all of our territory back. Oh, by the way, you have to pay for all the damages you've inflicted. You did. Oh, by the way, what you did, you blew up huge swaths of our country. Um, and mm-hmm. you need to pay for that because you did it. We didn't, you know, you weren't right. invited in to, to be a demolition crew, you know. Right. <laughs> so uh, you have to laugh because, you know, gallows humor. Um, uh, you know, and then there, there's also things like provisions for, uh, you know, holding people accountable for war crimes, which we clearly right. see have been committed in places like mm-hmm. Buchan, Irpin, Mariupol, uh, Kherson. Uh, the list is long. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that Ukraine knows very well Russia will not agree to, but they're still right. legitimate. Uh, and I just don't I don't think we're at the point of a negotiated peace. As, as much as I would love to report otherwise in this in this holiday season, um, we're a long way off from negotiating from real earnest negotiations. What those will right. be, I do not know, because we don't know what the situation on the ground in the battlefield is going to be like, and we don't know what the political situation will be like, and we don't know <clears throat> what the international uh, mm-hmm. attitude will be like. But we're not we're not going into negotiations. I'm sorry to say, anytime soon. Not on, yeah, no, not on not on those standards. And and by the way, the Russians have to know this as well. You know, because yes. they 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 know these are non-starters too. But they you know, <clears throat> in many ways. In these kind of negotiations where you know there's not going to be movement from the other side, what you use your 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 baseline talk about is a way to paint the other side as the villain. So if you know mm-hmm. you're not going to negotiate and you know that what you want is not acceptable to the other side, you just make a list of how awful the other person is. That's, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's, no, absolutely. I want to I want to bring up the point of, of the, the negotiations you mentioned earlier uh, in mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the war. There was a uh, there was a, a a thing that got floated uh, that there mm-hmm. would be a negotiated peace or that there would begin to, the negotiations would be possible in roughly March, April. I remember it well. We talked about it uh, all those many months ago. And right. and, and Boris Johnson, the U.K. Uh, prime minister at the time, boy, less than a year. And we've had three. British yeah, it seems like 100, year, 100 years um, ago. Right. I know this 2022 is a weird year. Um, yeah. uh, Boris Johnson came prime minister of the U.K. at the time. And he said to uh, Zelensky, look, we we at the Five Eyes organization, which includes uh, U.S., Canada, uh, U.K., New Zealand, and I believe Australia, the Five Eyes, which is an integrated mm-hmm. uh, satellite system, which basically can, can just knows what's going on on the globe. And so yeah. the, the British U, uh, uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson came and he said, look, we can see what they're doing. <laughs> they're not they are they are reorganizing for another thrust. They're they're looking right. to attack again. They are not acting in good faith. Do not believe mm-hmm. them. So all the mm-hmm. all the guys out there and 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 those listeners who are are getting uh, this massive download of stuff that we've talked about for months. I'm sorry to just kind of dump all this, but no, it's good. Um, 
if you if if the audience out there is listening to my voice and they have had uh, arguments about whether we should support Ukraine, whether we should shouldn't support Ukraine, that argument is a non-starter. That there was a peace program that was scuttled by the West, um, you know, back in March. Uh, right, that, that was the know, story being that told. Boris Johnson yeah. came here and said. Right. Boris Johnson came here and said, don't do it. We don't want you to have peace. No, no, no. Boris Johnson came here and said, they're not acting in good faith and we have evidence to, to prove it. Right. So, here's some, here's I, some I, pictures I, I always of them try, reloading. Right. Yeah. But, I, I always yeah. try and grab the opportunity when I can, Hal, and you know this very well, is to try yeah. and counter some of these talking points that come out of the Kremlin and that are picked up by other useful idiots or people who really do have uh, a, a fellow traveler. A kind of affinity. Yeah. Yeah, vested interest in Russia. In, in Russia winning this war. Um, mm-hmm. There, there are no Nazis. <laughs> there are Nazis here, but they do not control anything. This is not about NATO. Boris Johnson did not come to uh, prolong the war by by, by scuttling a peace deal. He right. came here and showed proof that the Russians were acting in, in were not acting in good faith. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, it. Yeah, we got to take hold on. Hold I that thought. Hold yeah, that no, thought. Go ahead. Hold go that ahead. thought. Because we'll, we got to take a yeah, we got to sure. take a break. Sorry. Um, this is uh, the Joan Esposito <laughs> show. I'm Hal Sparks filling in. Philip Itner's with me for another segment. Um, follow him on Twitter at Philip Itner. I have a tendency to Phillip yap. To, no, it's me too. I absolutely. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT eight twenty. Welcome back to the show. Um, I'm Hal Sparks filling in for Joan Esposito. Philip Itner is with us um, for another segment, and he's in Kiev right now. By the way, uh, how is it there? What's the weather like? What's the the general mood like? We had a nice day today. Yeah. Well, we had a nice day today. It was sunny but cold. It hasn't Mm -hmm. been that harsh a winter, thankfully. Uh, We Mm -hmm. we have uh, obviously we have very serious problems with our electrical grid. I'm I'm comparatively lucky, but I know a lot of people around town who are going Mm -hmm. without electricity. Uh, I am oftentimes without heat and without water, but my electricity has been pretty good, and that uh, I am blessed for that. Um, but and certainly people away from the city centers are having problems in villages and stuff. Make no mistake about it. This is a difficult winter, but spirits mm-hmm. and morale are still high. People celebrated Christmas as an almost as an act of defiance. Um, it was, you know, we are not going to let the Russians rob us of joy and uh, and and holiday spirit. So they. There was, you know, there were Christmas celebrations while air raid sirens were happening. So right. it's the resilience of the Ukrainian people. It, it cannot be understated, cannot be overstated. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as far as like other situations here, um, you know, uh, the 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 mm-hmm. attitude is that we have to go through this difficult winter in order for generations, untold generations, to come to live in. Um, in freedom and in uh, in a country of of their own choosing, uh, right. and so what is one winter compared to countless generations ahead of us? So they are they are a resilient, very uh, strong willed um, people with a, with a really lovely sense of um, of spirit. It's 
it, people have asked me many times. They've said, why are you doing this? You don't necessarily have to do this. I'm semi-retired. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not working for, you know, news corporations anymore. Um, I don't have to do this. Well, I counter with, this is a, a huge privilege. This is humbling. Mm-hmm. It is, it is breathtaking for me. It is an honor to be here watching the birth of a nation that is truly independent. If, you know, we had our 1776 moment where we broke away from our imperial masters and we were able to do that because we had a ocean between us and great britain well the 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 ukrainians have no such luck their their imperial masters are right on their doorstep but to see them fight for something they honestly truly believe in and this is another thing where i go into the misinformation campaign by russia if the the ukrainian people more so than maybe an awful lot of other warsaw pact countries that that won their uh, freedom fr- through civil disobedience. The Ukrainians are winning it through the the loss of blood and an entire mm-hmm. generation of of young men and women. They will not let this go for in vain, and they are determined to build a liberal democracy um, that has been denied them for for centuries. And it's it's really the privilege is mine. I am not <clears throat> I am not afraid. Uh, per se, I'm also not foolhardy, but I am the the benefit of being here and being witness to the birth of a of a new uh, liberal democracy and a bastion of a liberal democracy. I firmly believe that's what's going to be built here. Is uh, it's humbling, and so uh, I support. I, I tell everybody who is listening, uh, thank you, uh, Hal, and thank you, Jill, for mm-hmm. for letting me uh, come on and talk mm-hmm. to this audience. But I just want to relay that that's really important to me that. We yeah. have to support Ukraine because Ukraine is genuinely trying to help build uh, what we believe in uh, at the heart of the American experiment. When, it, when we're at our best and we are not failing in our hopes and commitments and our ideals, um, the Ukrainians have the exact same vision for how mm-hmm. um, a, 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 a nation should treat its citizens and how the world can, should, should kind of be won or should be run with a vote and with self-determination and the rule of law. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm ask me any questions you want to ask, Hal, but at the end not, of the day, folks, that's yeah. why. That's why we need to support <laughs> Ukraine. What are you showing? The footage I'm putting, the footage I'm showing, uh, on the live stream right now at infotainmentwars.com and at, uh, fwank.com, um, is this is, these are Russians making a run on a bank as they close the door. Uh, yes. There's a, there's another one of a sign, people coming to the bank and the, uh, and, there's a sign on the door that says there's no money in the Russian banks, um, just like and mm-hmm. the banks are closed on Christmas Day. Now, Christmas Day in the United States, banks are closed normally. But on December 25th in Russia, they are not. Um, well, they run, on, another, they run on a different calendar. They run on a different right. calendar. Their Christmas isn't until January 6th. That's I, right. I think it's great that you're showing this, Al, because I think it's really important for, for folks to know. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this hour, I lived in Russia for five years. I have very many uh, great Russian friends, and I love them dearly. We have we have mm-hmm. agreed not to discuss the war by and mm-hmm. large. There are a few who are willing to, on both sides of, of the opinion, mm-hmm. um, divide w- internally right. within Russia. But I am talking to many of my Russian friends. Um, we may not be seeing it as much as perhaps we should uh, – for a variety of reasons, mainly in part because, um, in no small part, because many Western news outlets have left. 
but there's mm-hmm. there are major issues internally within Russia right now, and it's affecting the citizenry. And the citizenry are starting to question why it is that the um, the the agreement that they had with Putin, which was basically "Don't mess with us, and we won't mess with you." Uh, we know that where those lines and the borders are between um, the political elite or, you know, the, the power structure and the citizenry. And we're happy to just, you know, keep corruption to a minimum. Uh, don't ask us to participate in politics because we don't want to be bothered. We just want to live our lives. Uh, mm-hmm. And Putin has betrayed that agreement because he is he has taken the country in a direction where it is affecting their lives. They're losing money. Mm-hmm. Um, the instabilities is creeping back into Russia. And that was the agreement that they made with Putin that that would not happen again. So this video that you're showing of, of lines to the bank, mm-hmm. it could be it. That could be 1998, 1999 Moscow right. when, the, when the ruble collapsed and there was a rush on the banks. And it's exactly mm-hmm. what Putin said. He would never take Russia back to the 1990s. He would never mm-hmm. take it back to that, 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 desperate time in the immediate collapse of the Soviet Union. He promised that to the Russian people. And to see those lines, I seriously yeah. think that Putin is in very, um, is in is in real serious trouble. It, it, it's going to mm-hmm. bubble over at some point. Again, as we as we close to this hour that you have allowed me to come and appropriate now both your That's audience. That's what I say, yeah. And, Glad to do and, it. And this is... <laughs> Uh, is that uh, is that again? It is in Russia. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Everything, everything. happens, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then nothing happens, and nothing happens. So, yeah, I think we're getting to the tail end of one of those periods. We are. I, I we think are. Putin's yeah. in serious trouble. Right, and, and there's really doing. no no one to yes. blame but himself. Yeah, <laughs> and the parallels between um, you know the you know. What's going on in China? What's going on in Russia? What's going on with the yuan? What's going on with the ruble? Um, and the and the sort of booster crowd that is trying to run like a uh, at least a PR protection racket for Russia during this time. Um, um, you know, with Musk uh, running, you know, his boosting Medvedev's weird. You know, Texas is going to secede, and uh, Elon Musk will be president of the United States, and the dollar and the uh, and uh, the the pound and the and the euro will collapse, and yada yada. This which which Prigozhin called an erotic fantasy. Um, yeah, all that stuff is coming. I want to thank Philip Itner for being with us on this, and remind everybody to thank follow you, him on Twitter. A- absolutely, at Philip uh, Itner, Philip with one L and Itner with two T's. If you're listening on the air, um, give him a look. I will also from at Hal Sparks on my Twitter feed. I will uh, uh, put out his uh, Christmas Day message that he did from his vlog that he put out. And we will see you on the other side of the news. Thanks so much, Philip, and, and I'll see you on Saturday. Thanks so much. Thank you show. for everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, and thank you for listening. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Support for Ukraine, us, brother. That's right. We'll be back right after this. This is 820 AM, WCPT Willow Springs, and streaming worldwide at WCPT820.com. We are Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Now, your WCPT820 Chicago traffic update. 
Anna Edens outbound 17 minutes. They did clear that vehicle that was on fire earlier. On the inbound 26 minutes, on the Kennedy outbound, heavy traffic, 54 minutes. Inbound, 51. A Stevenson outbound, 43 minutes. Inbound, 44. And on the Eisenhower outbound, uh, stop and go traffic, 34. On the other side, 25. On the Dan Ryan outbound, 25 minutes. On the other side, 16 minutes, not so bad. Uh, on the Bishop 4 outbound, 14 minutes. Inbound, 10 minutes. And on the DuSable uh, Lakeshore Drive, uh, southbound is 18 minutes. On the uh, northbound is 11 minutes. No delays there. On the tri-state northbound is 74 minutes, heavy flow traffic. And the uh, southbound uh, uh, tri-state is 83 minutes uh, due to an accident. Right lane blocked. Uh so this is Miss Lady B with your traffic report. This hour of Joan Esposito Live Local and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hawkberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Drought, war, and rising food prices have doubled the number of families facing malnutrition. You can help. $50 provides a food kit to feed a family for a month. Just text the word radio to 97646. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, live from Chicago. Actor, comedian, and multimedia personality, Hal Sparks. You know, there there is plenty of stuff to uh, be concerned about in the world at any given time. That's why the whole um, using wars and rumors of wars as a way of predicting the return of Christ has always been uh, a fraught with difficulty when it comes to your 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 profit crowd they've always run in because you know, there's always wars and rumors of wars there's always pestilence and those kind of things but you know obviously as we have grown in our reach and our ability to see things um you know if we had footage of the black plague for example um th- as opposed to writings about it or etchings um, our experience of it as a people would have been wholly different. Um, same thing with the Spanish flu. I mean, as we moved forward into the modern age where the news could cover things like polio and AIDS and other things as they came out, um, obviously they have impacted people on a more personal level, level, whether they have impacted them in person on a disease level or not. You're way more aware. Then there are effectively these um, iron curtains that hide a lot of this information, or at least have been for a time. And when it comes to um, China, for example, around COVID, there is statistically no way that, that here to date, before they reopened, that China has not lost somewhere in the order of 17 million people to COVID because they did not have a vaccine. And when they finally came up with one, it did not work. Sinovac only works, it's particular to the strain. It is not useful for Omicron or Delta or Alpha. It was just based on the initial two variants of the wild type. And at some point, 
right after Xi Jinping became the leader for life, or at least got his his third five-year term, he decided to just open the place up. That, uh, that all the things that Trump and his crowd said about Biden, say, around the election, which is on November 5th, you're not going to hear anything about COVID and they're just going to forget about it. Meanwhile, the Biden administration created a strategy to make sure that people were getting vaccinated, make sure that we continue to build on the therapeutics that we had to save as many lives as possible and, and continue to mask and protect people, you know, especially until that number reached a level where we at least had a mix of herd immunity or um, or vaccination or a combination of the two to protect as many American lives as possible. Um, that didn't turn out to be true. The, the Biden administration did not just call off uh, COVID as a bluff as soon as they took over, like it was some sort of fantasy the whole time. The closest thing to that is China right after um, Xi Jinping got his his third term. As soon as that happened, zero COVID <clears throat> saw some real pushback. And then they just without any prep, without warning any of the hospitals, without setting up a situation where they might deal with it, just decided, nah, never mind. And now the lines of coffins and the lines of um, of quite frankly, dead bodies outside of crematoriums um, are horrifying. Um, and it, it seems to be that the, the Chinese government is just either shrugging this off or, or just overwhelmed by it and not saying anything. And that very well may be the current case. Um, I have shown on my live stream in the last couple of days, there's been footage coming out around China from China via social media, which is it's amazing that a lot of this footage even gets out of the country, considering the control that China has. But at a certain point, it's just overwhelming. I don't know how they can't stop all of it. Rows and rows of coffins lined up outside of a crematorium, body bags with individuals bringing their relatives to a crematorium, standing outside. They themselves coughing horribly, somewhere in the order of 34 million infections in a single day. Um, (coughs) There's a uh, story here from Bloomberg. Um, 50%, almost half of the passengers on two flights from China to Milan had COVID, prompting Italian health authorities to start testing all arrivals from the country. Um, Because China just turned it off like a spigot. They just stopped caring at one point. And it is the, the footage, the scenery from there is indeed heartbreaking. Um, uh, at this point, they, they are choosing the let it rip um, methodology. The CCP's current COVID goal, according to Eric uh, Feigelding, is let whoever needs to be infected get infected. Let whoever needs to die, die. Early infections, early deaths, early peak, early resumption of production. If you're not a useful worker or you have comorbidities or you're old or whatever, you've outlived your usefulness anyways. This is basically China using COVID as an ice flow method of getting rid of their dead. It is 
brutal. Um, the, uh, you know, footage upon footage of people hooked up to oxygen tanks, people dying in the in the hallways. I'm showing some of this footage on my live stream right now, and that's just in the hospitals. Um, crematoriums there are overflowing. They, you know, we had refrigerator trucks in the United States at one point because we were dealing with a volume of dead, but nowhere near, obviously, this number. And they simply have shipping containers with, with like those, uh, those Home Depot metal shelves in them with bodies on them, one after the other. And I would like to remind everyone that one of the reasons why the, the pro-Russian tankies that you keep seeing online um, are, you know, believe that Russia has a chance. And I want to thank Philip Bittner for joining us again. Um, the, the reason they believe that Russia has a chance to win this war with Ukraine is because they have China backing them up because China is covering for them. Now, beyond the fact that Xi Jinping, while he said there was they had a friendship with no limits, he's put distinct limits on during every meeting he's had with Vladimir Putin, including if you guys use a tactical nuke or any other kind of nuke, we're out. You're on your own. And we will no longer back you. And and they've already been moving in the direction away from supporting Russia, because, quite frankly, um, there are too many similarities uh, between the situation in Ukraine and what Taiwan would be like if if China decided to move into there. And they're looking at what's happening to Russia in not in just the military response, but in how the rest of the world sees Russia and, you know, the interaction they're going to have from, you know, for decades the, you know, Europe and the United States and Canada and South America, all these countries, the relationship they're going to have with Russia going forward based on what they've done in in Ukraine. China is looking at that in terms of, you know, whether or not they attack Taiwan and try to take it by force. They're, they're using this as a, a blueprint for how what they would have to deal with. And they don't like it. And they think that Russia, in many ways, is keying the world up to this kind of response. Now, we have, you know, many times over the, um, you know, the last year with uh, my dear friend Philip, who's on my Saturday show, if you guys um, uh, will join us then. um, We've talked about how (coughs) the illusion of uh, Russian military dominance, the idea that they were the second they're the number two military in the world. That's what we've all, we've heard for decades. And why? Largely because of the volume of nukes, not because of the rest of their military. But that was enough, apparently, to assume that if they had that many nukes, their, their army must be enormous. We have seen that turn out to be false. It's always been a bloviated lie. It's always been garbage. Uh, but now we're seeing it in... in in stark relief against reality. The same thing is true of China's organizational capabilities, at, you know, from the CCP's point of view as a communist party and how they handle emergencies and citizenry going through some stuff and their economy. China being the number two economy in the world in the same way that Russia is the number two military in the world. They're both a bunch of number two. 
And the idea that they've been you know, nipping at the United States heels or even at Europe as a collective's heels for quite some time have turned out, quite frankly, to be false. And we've got to take a break, but I want to put this thought to you before we go to break, which is, on the one hand, if China is meant to be the, you know, uh, a, a, an economy equal to the United States or close to it, if you have a million dollars and two kids and the family next door has a million dollars and 1.5 million kids, who's, which family lives better? Which family eats better? Which family can survive? The, 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 the strength and the value of an economy is not just based on the gross number of dollars or yen or yuan or rubles flowing in that system, but how they are spread across the populace. And if you think income inequality is bad in the United States, um, we haven't got anything on China. Um, it is horrifying and just getting worse all the time. We'll be back right after this. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Welcome back to the show. Uh, this is the Joan Esposito Show. I'm Hal Sparks filling in for her temporarily. She'll be back on Monday. Um, and we've got some calls. 773-763-9278 is our number. Who do we have first, Lady B? By the way, you're Benny wonderful and you're doing Cameron. a great job. Oh, right on. Hey, Benny, welcome. What up, Hal? Are you there? You Hi. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Hey, listen. Yep. Everybody who's watching, 13, almost 1,300 people over here, hit the damn thumbs up. Just do it. Yes. Out Thank you, Benny Loco. Yeah. <laughs> this is important information, and the more people hear it, the more people know what the hell is going on. We need to get our act together and pull it together mm-hmm. so we can all work together, period. Agreed. So many people running in so many different directions wondering what the hell to do next. And it's terrifying for a lot of people, like myself. I'm terrified Understood. of what I see. You know? Well, I, 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 you know, you know how I am. You know how I am, Benny Loco. I, um, me and my stoic optimism, and I know it infuriates you sometimes, but I also know that in, in history, there's never been a period in human history where people have been able to skip this kind of stuff. And the, and, and hope and focus has always been the solution. Um, if you don't believe you're going to make it over the horizon, you're not going to save somebody else. The, the only reason why I get agitated with you, and I'm so glad I can tell you mm-hmm. this in person, is because sure. I used to have the calm and reserve and ability to deal. And when I got thumped in my being, that knocked that ability out of me. And, and for all that I've struggled to try to get back that calm and reserve, it just... Sure. The, the situation... It takes work. And it's yeah. something that I, you know, I'm diligently work at it every minute of my life. This is sure. So, so do I. 
Don't, 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 you know, it's not like a gene I have. Yeah, it's not like a gene I have that allows me to look past this stuff. Part of it is some of the stuff I've been through in my life that I've dealt with. You know, when you deal with a certain amount of face-to-face sorrow, the stuff that you can stiff arm in life um, loses traction as far as causing you anxiety. Um, and so you can look at it from a perspective and a distance that gives you a little bit of, you know, you can, it's, so you can focus on it a little better and see what's genuinely going on. Whereas if you, before you've experienced those kind of things, you might take every drastic or crises looking thing in your circumference, even when it's coming out of your television, your computer, your phone to heart as if it's happening to you in that moment when it is not. The other thing too is, is that it's the person who's calm when there's an emergency that's the most helpful. It's the person who believes there's, uh, you know, hope over the horizon that is the most, uh, is, is of best utility in serving their fellow man, I truly believe. So that's why I believe it's worth the effort. And I think you do too, which is awesome. I, I, I want to thank you for letting me spew my, uh, Yes. Security fear in your chat, because there's not a, a lot of places that you can do that and and have people Safely. understand what's going on inside right. your head. Um, right. So for that, I am eternally grateful for the last couple of years. You've helped me keep my shit together, along with thousands. Oops. Of All right. But Hold on. You got we you're on the radio. So. So we got we got bumped for a second, although I will say your connection is a little harsh. So. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> it was bound to happen because we talk so freely and my language is so loose on my live stream that it's we all kind of forget. I, I my my potty mouth is contagious. So um, anyways, uh, adore you and keep and and keep your chin up. I, I will continue to provide not just, you know, a hopeful attitude, but actually, you know, evidence for why that's good, why it's helpful, why it serves right. you on a day-to-day. So, Pal, I spend every minute of my day trying to give positivity to others. And it, it good. yourself, it, it's a heavy weight to carry. Uh, but I don't mind carrying it. I'll carry anybody, right. anytime, for anything. That's who we are. That's what we do. Yeah. That's what I learned mm-hmm. being an American. That's mm-hmm. what I learned. You know, yeah, care. that's our, well, that's the value we provide. Agreed. That's right. I agree. And I, and it's a beautiful we thing. We all just need to, uh, you know, put our best foot forward and realize and recognize what we have and mm-hmm. what we could possibly lose with being inactive. Simply voting, simply voting. Yes. Makes me huge participation. Different. And there's so many people who get it out. It's aggravating. <laughs> right. Well, that's, again, there's a big part of this. Keep in mind that um, once people check out of that participation level, it's why I'm pro-voting across the board, even if people disagree with me politically, is because once they stop participating in the normal civil workings of a society, that's when they fall back to violence. That's when they fall back exactly. to to bigoted rhetoric or fight language all the time. That Once you have agreed that we're all going to settle our stuff you know, in in civil and peaceful ways, and we have peaceful transfers of power, and we choose our leaders through voting and not fighting and stuff. That that creates a safe environment where we can disagree 
without being disagreeable, where we can actually make progress. And even if we if we do disagree with each other, we can all have a happy, healthy lives. And it's that middle of the road thing. We have to remember what mm-hmm. the middle of the road is. You know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, well, I think it was. You did it again. All right, Betty Loco. That's the second one. I I think we dumped it off, but I I think we should be okay. Um, Love you, Betty Loco. Thank you for calling in. Um, I that was like they they dump you automatically. I think we gave her an extra one. That was good. But um, thank you for calling in, Benny Loco. Um, And uh, Benny Loco has a. uh, um, a video channel on YouTube as well. I'm just letting people know. So yeah, <laughs> everybody's just laughing at her for for uh, <laughs> for swearing. It happens, you know. We're all we're all getting loosey goosey. By the way, that word was used by the former president of the United States um, on open mics uh, while he was on the news, and worse, quite frankly. Um, so fear not. It's a social kind of idiot. <laughs> so. Um, Let's see. I only got three minutes. I think I could take one more caller. We'll see if we can get them in in time. Who do we have, Lady B? Uh, we can go to Jim with Chicago. Okay, great. Jim, sounds good. Yeah, Welcome. Yeah, happy New Year. I can't wait. Thank you, for for our uh, renowned scientist and part-time sumo wrestler uh, Jimmy Jordan to get to the bottom of his COVID. Disease. I'm sure he'll get to the bottom of it because if anybody can do it, he can do it. And he's going to start on the third, and he's going to uh-huh. tell us why we got COVID and why we lost these millions of people. And it was right. all, uh, it was all a conspiracy to make a couple of bucks. And it should be interesting. But he's going to—he'll drive that for the next two years. Uh, you know, jump. Yeah. Well, it's not like he's got to fill the time with policy. It's not like they want to pass anything. And by the way, Biden's already done it. Passed a budget. Didn't do a continuing resolution. Full omnibus. Like the it came and went. They did that infrastructure, the Chips Act. I mean, there's obviously. I would argue there's one big thing that could involve Republicans as you know in in the debate about stuff is the comprehensive immigration reform which I think it would be smart for Biden and the Democrats to put on the table finally and let Republicans show everybody that they're not on board with genuine comprehensive immigration reform that actually solves the problem um and I and I think they will and I, I also think it'll pass um which will make it even more horrifying for them yeah, but hell, they're not going to let uh, COVID go. They're just not going. They use it as a political bludgeon. Sure. They're keep well, they're going to go after Fauci and yada yada and yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it exactly. Anyway, you have a happy New Year. Thanks, uh, thanks, Hill. You too. I appreciate it. I yeah. He's absolutely right that they're going to. They're going to hold on to uh, you know COVID and and the. I guess, it, maybe that'll be part of why they think. Biden owes China and China controls him because of uh, lockdowns that happened during the Trump administration. I don't know what the heck, where they even, (laughs) how do you even, how do you even make that argument at this point? But I will say for the record that um, that and say getting out of Afghanistan are these like, they keep beating these dead horses, just like the, the Hunter Biden laptop mythology. 
hoping that that will bail them out of actually having to produce anything for their constituents. And it doesn't. It won't. We got to take a break. We'll be back right after this. I'm Hal Sparks. I'm filling in for Joan Esposito on WCPT. WCPT820.com is the website, or you can just program uh, 8:20 a.m. into your uh, into the little buttons on your thing. I mean, you've got a dash on your dashboard. You can program the channel. Do that. We'll be back. Your long drive home just got even easier. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now weeknights from 5 to 7 p.m. on WCPT 820. <laughs> <clears throat> Welcome back. I'm Hal Sparks. I'm filling in for uh, Joan Esposito uh, for a little bit longer. I'm going to take your call, 773-763-9278. Um, who do we have on the line, Lady B? If we do indeed. I think we do. Yeah, we have William from Toronto. Do I hear them? Are they there? I hope so. Anyways, well, I'll just keep hey, talking. Until we, yeah. Oh, hey, who's there? Sorry, I didn't hear the name. Sorry. It's uh, it's William from Toronto, also Doc from Twitch. Hey, Twitch, love you lots. Oh, right on. I tell you, what's happening? I'm loving, I'm mm-hmm. loving your, uh, I'm loving your hockey, uh, your hockey love. That's fantastic. You're oh, right on. Showing uh, just a little bit. Sure. And uh, I'm still, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting to hear about the uh, sexy liberals international happening. So we. Uh, I we know. I. Me too. Yeah, we've got to do the slit tour, the sexy liberal international tour. Um, I, you know, that's, uh, believe me, if anyone climbs up Stephanie Miller's tree and rattles her uh, nest at all, it's me. More than any other member of the sexy liberal crew, I'm like, more dates. Let's get out on the road. Let's do it. And so, uh, fingers crossed, we'll get there in the new year, especially because I think we ought to gear up and on, on the regular leading up to elections as part of the get out the vote and tell the story. And uh, even in primary seasons, I think it's a great idea, you know, get people interested in the process. So being, um, you know, on the road during those times, you don't have to do it all year round, 24 seven, even though I'm fine with that. Um, it would be a great the idea, I think, for us to approaching, especially in in the election season coming up for 2024 and the primary season around that, to get out there on the road and start, you know, making jokes, telling stories, keeping things positive and making people understand the issues. Well, that's and that's just it. And as Kath would say, let's go. But uh, I want yeah. to ask you about what do you think, like, legitimately you know, if you're going to put Vegas numbers on it, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of a, an expert at that. It's more so than me. Sure. That we will actually get back to 218, 218, or maybe even 219, uh, you know, 217. Because you, we got I'm pretty sure he's going to have to go. And he Santos. wasn't one of the ones yeah. who said. Right. Yeah, I, there, are, there are about five of them. So I think it's very strong chance that by the spring – uh, you will hear a tremendous clamoring from the right wing because they will think that it's being stolen from them again. Um, <clears throat> I think they will manage to swear in a couple of these folks, but then they will they will drop. They will have special elections. And that takes about, you know, 60 to 90 days, sometimes depending on when the decision is made and what the process is different for different districts and the like. But there's a very strong chance that that, that, you know, anybody who lost by a little bit, especially in the Democratic world, if they go back for one of these seats, they're going to get it. 
They're going to run on I told you so and win. So uh, and Santos is was gravy on this. And I think more than likely the the Republicans, they don't want to serve with him. Um, much like their feelings about Walker, they don't mind uh, having tokens in certain categories, but they don't want to actually govern with people like that. And they, you know, it's they want to pat themselves on the back for having a gay member or in this case, a Jewish member uh, or a Hispanic member. But they don't actually want to interact with them on a legislative level in any meaningful way. And if they have to, they do it begrudgingly because it's necessary to hold the district. So and, and if they can get rid of this guy and then let let whoever the governor is pick another Republican for them and they get to have influence on who that person is and hold on to it for a little while longer, that seat while the election's going on, they'd be more than happy to bounce this dude. So, yeah, I think the chances by the spring are strong. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, last thing uh, before I go is, is there any update on uh, on your interview with uh, Mike Junpao? Uh, yes. Uh, right. Um, yes. Right. Mike. Uh, not yet. I'm uh, fingers crossed, though. I think something will happen. I've, I've gotten a, a tepid response. We'll see. I, I may not be able to do it on my regular timing of my show. It seems they might want to do it at another time. Um, pre-recording it or something like that as opposed to doing it live which I think is weird if you want a honest exchange I w- one would think doing it live would be your guarantee especially if you're live streaming it right it's not like I can edit it as it's happening the guy wants to make a fool of himself that's on him if he if he thinks I'm going to protect him from it that's weird too so fingers crossed maybe in the next okay, two yeah. weeks yeah so, but it, I, I want it to be live. That's my holdout. I want it to be live. And that's, that's the tricky part, as, you know, and I'm sure it's a, a factor of time. He's a busy guy. He's got, uh, um, you know, nuisance lawsuits to file and um, right wing lunatics to finance and uh, ads to do for my store. Yes, yes, a lot of idiots to to sucker so that he can be suckered by Brandon House. And for those of you that don't know, we're talking about the fact that um, I have been in contact with Mike Pillow's people to try and get him on my live stream. Fingers crossed, we'll actually get there. We'll we'll see. Um, but uh, th- thanks so much for the call. And by the way, for the record, I can't I can't wait to get back to Toronto. I love Toronto. I loved uh, when I was living there when we were shooting Queer as Folk. I have history with that city. Um, I had a girlfriend that when I lived up there that I was madly in love with. And it was just there's a lot of just wonderful memories of that place of, uh, of she and I, you know, going uh, taking the train up to Montreal and uh, and hanging out and just the, the friendships I built. And uh, literally, I think I ordered my first meal entirely in Chinese in Chinatown in Toronto as I was learning to speak Chinese. That's where I would go and practice it because I lived blocks away from Chinatown in Toronto on purpose. Since we were going to have to move there, I was like, all right, what else can I do? I want to live near where the rock bands are, where the guitar shops are and where and close to Chinatown. And I was basically right in the middle. So um, Toronto is a great city and uh, I, it's sorely missed um, good people. So thanks for calling in. Do, and Lady B, I, uh, 773-763-9278 is our number. Do we have another caller? Um, are we good? No, we I think have we got... several. Uh, we have Dave okay, great. from yeah. Alpine Estate. Great. Okay. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Hey, Dave, welcome. 
Hey, he how? You know, and they keep wanting to redredge about you know, Hunter Biden. I don't know why mm-hmm. they haven't. There's a story back when McCarthy was the, the leader. The story comes out of mm-hmm. October 14, 2018, L.A. Times. And it was about mm-hmm. a company owned by House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy's in-laws won more than $7 million in no-bid and other federal contracts at U.S. military installations and other right. government properties in California based on a dubious claim of Native American identity by McCarthy's brother-in-law. This right. And it says the prime contracts awarded through a federal program designed to help disadvantaged minorities were mostly for construction projects at Naval Air Weapons Station, China Lake, and McCarthy's Bakersfield Base District, and the Naval Air mm-hmm. Station, Glenmore, in nearby Kings County. It says uh, Vortex Construction, whose principal owner... Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, I'll tell I'll tell you precisely why they keep bringing up the uh, the Hunter Biden laptop myth is because it muddies the water around their own corruption. The the fact that you know Trump was working on a deal in Dubai in his last year of president of his presidency, and that Kevin McCarthy has deals like this, or that there's a revolving door of Republicans that they're proud of in terms of oversight into a corporate lobbying position and the like, and they think. That if you just think everything's corrupt, this is basically Trump's methodology in New York, was that the whole place is corrupt. Why are you going after me? If you don't play in the corruption, you couldn't do anything here. So I leave me alone, which is an, it was his initial sort of methodology in the 80s that his dad taught him and that he hung on to for a while. The only problem is he's terrible at building things. He can just slap his name on stuff. But Kevin McCarthy and all those others hope that the constant smoke around the Hunter Biden laptop mythology will cover for anybody coming after them. And so that they can say, you're only bringing this up because you're afraid that Hunter Biden, blah, blah, blah. It gives them that, you know, and and the more they sort of blather on about the depth of it, which never pays off, by the way, again, Everything they have accused Biden of being, especially, uh, you know, uh, being under the control of China, does not bear out in any of his policies towards China since he's been in office. As a matter of fact, it it seems like he bears a grudge. And if indeed we ever find out that they did give one point five billion dollars to Hunter Biden to try and buy influence on Joe Biden, he he will single-handedly be the most ethical person in the world because they couldn't even buy him for a billion five. He still got into office and gave them the what for. Mm. So um, uh, appreciate the call. I think that's why. I think that's why they, you know, okay. why they bring it up. We got to take a break. Yeah, we got to take a break. When we come back, <clears throat> more of your calls, 773-763-9278. Now I got to go read that article. So thank you. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to try and get the last couple of callers in before the end of the show, and then I'm going to dovetail right into my own live stream, um, just saying at infotainmentwars.com. You can support what I do 
um, at uh, patreon.com slash Hal Sparks. If, you have, uh, if you're a user of Patreon or you have other Patreon um, accounts that you support, just hop on over and uh, tell some help my way if you feel like doing it. Um, and if not, I'm just glad to be able to entertain and inform as best I can. Uh, in the meantime, uh, who do we have left on the line, Lady B? Robert from Florida. Right on. Robert from Florida. Good to, good to hear from you. Two days in a row. Right on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know what it is? It's the holidays. I'm on vacation. I'm looking at my... I was actually sure. at my grill, and I started, you know, watching you on the TV there. I can't, and I'm cleaning my grill, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe I eat anything off this thing. You know? It's like a big <laughs> ready to go here. You know? Um, sure. Uh, I call in because you were talking about that Santos guy, and I did a little more reading about him. Apparently, he's kind mm-hmm. of... Eat. And I might be wrong on this, but he's claiming that he's also that box of the Latino box. And apparently, I looked it up, to be Latino, you have to be of Hispanic descent. He's of Portuguese descent from Brazil, right? Right. So right. I, I don't, yeah. I, I met a, I asked my Portuguese friend, my Brazilian friend, if he considered himself Latino. He just looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what are you asking me these things? You know? Right. So I, I didn't yeah. have an issue with him, but. I don't know. I, but I also That's where, by the way, all that like white Latino, non-white Latino, you know, that all that uh, those boxes, when you see those in the census, that's where that comes from. Because those folks don't view themselves as Latino. They view themselves as white. And that, you know, that's their description. And then there's God knows in Brazil, there's like 19 different variations of, you know, colorist labels that everybody, uh, you know, that everybody hangs on. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I his mom is also wanted for uh, forging checks and stealing from. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess she had a she was taking care of sick people, you know. And one last well, and and, his, and the pet charity. He had a pet charity, and he just took the money and paid his own bills. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's great. He's perfect Republican. Yeah, exactly. And now here's the other thing: you were talking about picking off three or four, uh, you know, Republicans to give the house to the. You know, keep it in the Democrats' hand. Why don't we just give them ambassadorships? You know, we even make up a country or two. You know, hey, you want to be the ambassador? Yeah. Come on over here. You know, you know, or uh, you know, sure. Just, right, just give them an envelope full of cash. They'll take it. You know, say okay, just take a walk. <laughs> you know, and make sure it's obviously a democratic state where the governor can just pick the next guy in or girl there. You know, you know, right? Like, seriously, that, that would be. A- if you're in fifty-fifty <laughs> state, you know you're going to lose. Wouldn't you take the ambassadorship to Fiji for two years? Take the kids. You know, take the dog. Who cares? Everybody's going. You know, just go sit. Yeah, yeah like uh, like Newt Gingrich and his and his wife got, getting the Vatican beat. Right. right that's right. The Vatican. Oh my God. You know, I've been to the Vatican many times. I, I don't think I right. stay in there. It's creepy. I mean, I've been in the catacombs. I've been up in the bell tower. You don't want to be there. <laughs> Yes. Uh, well, uh, Santos might because, in spite of all his protestations about being Jewish, he uh, is a allegedly devout Catholic. Now, I I know, and you know, neither one of us can believe anything the dude says. So even when he incriminates himself by saying he's been to Russia many many times and knows how much a hotel room there costs, um, oddly enough, was still like I don't know. If, do we believe that? I don't know. No, I don't believe that. Doubt it. We can't. Exactly. Right. right. Let someone else in. Thank you for hanging out. Appreciate it. Thank you. Ciao. No, no, I appreciate it. Uh, and go back to cleaning that grill. It's it's got filth and muck on it. Hey. All right. Um. <laughs> um. And uh. And who? Uh, like, Lady B. We have one more caller. I think on the line. Let's Correct. see if we can get him in before the Bob end of the show. From Chicago. Oh, Bob from Chicago. Right on. Hey, Welcome. 
First of all, they are high. I went to the Vatican get the, the gift shop. Do we lose uh, him? Is he there? A popener. Yeah, I'm here. Whoops. Oh, I see. Hold on. Hello? Am I not hearing him or is he not hearing me? What's happening? Hold on. It might be a headphones thing. Give me a second. Um, okay. Yeah, it's weird. A suddenly lost uh, signal on there. Give me one second, and I will fix it, and then we will have audio. Give me just a moment. Oh, but there he is. I'll pretend that other people can hear me and not you. Just there you me. go. Now I can hear you. Now I can hear you. It was it was just a weird drop-off. Okay, go ahead. That's cool. I was just going to quickly say that my friend went to the Vatican gift shop and got me a Popener, which was a bottle opener with Pope John II on it, which is very That's good. amazing. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> just for uh, wine, though, it's um, <laughs> for a bottle. But uh, the Popener <laughs> works; in, it's infallible. It works on all bottles. Um, Great. Okay. I just want everyone to know that they should check out your Saturday show in case they're not aware of it. And I think Thank you. WCPT should make you the official number one uh, phone number to call if any show goes on vacation. But and this is one of the reasons why I really like listening to your show is because I hear things on yours I don't hear anywhere else. But I need a little more explanation from you on this one. The strategic okay. oil reserve you said as we know it's being refilled at a cheaper price. We're making a profit. Yeah. I just wasn't clear on what the rules are on that profit. Who controls it? What has to be done with it? Is there any like regulations already written where this just back no, treasury. it's pretty it's pretty cut and I'll tell you what it's pretty cut and dry the rules are is that it has to be um, sold at the highest biddable price at the time of sale so whoever will pay the most for it gets it once it's offered into the market so you can buy it directly at, at market price but if you're saying no we really need some we'll pay five dollars a barrel over which is what China did which is why they got you know, one of the five million barrel uh, orders and why the right wing was flipping out that, oh, you know, that Biden is selling oil to China, that nonsense. That's because they offered to pay the most. It doesn't matter who it is. As long as, you know, we don't have a direct sanction against them, they're allowed to buy the oil, but they have to buy it at, a, at, at or above market price. And when they were selling it, Earlier this year, it was at $120 for the first batch, and then I think somewhere around $96 for the second batch. They started buying back in increments about a month ago when oil hit $76 a barrel. When they announced it, it spiked. I think it's when it was at 72. It spiked to 76. They waited a couple of days because they had announced it, and people drove the price up to try and get as much out of it as possible. And then it went back. The oil price went down worldwide to 72, and they bought back. A, they're slowly buying the oil back and refilling the the reserve using that $72 marker. So anytime it drops down in that range, the the strategic oil reserves just buys like. Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy at the in trading places, right? They just wait till that moment and have that buy point. They could still buy it right now. I think it's at seventy eight dollars right now, and still have made a you know twenty to forty dollar profit on every single barrel of oil that was removed from the strategic reserve going forward. And unlike what Dmitry Medvedev says. The price is not going up to $120 a barrel again. There's no reason for it. Demand is taking a crap. The Chinese market, while they thought it was going to come back online, did not, will not. 
Um, and even once they start using oil again and start opening up again or whatever, it's still going to be a long lag. Um, and quite frankly, you know, there's a ton of, uh, excuse me, <coughs> of demand destruction in Europe and the United States and in Canada that is keeping the price, <coughs> excuse me, down. So that would, that, that's why I'm mean, essentially buy, uh, you know, uh, buy low, sell high. The opposite was true. Sell high, buy low. When they re, when they refilled um, the oil reserves, and as they refilled the oil reserves, they had sold at basically the peak of oil this year. Does that make sense? Right, but so where there, is there yeah. any actual profit we're seeing, and where would that go? Like, did oh, we have well, the, money, like, like yeah, it that money goes into like there's a myriad of areas where it goes into, but it basically goes into the federal budget. It goes, it's available funds um, into the federal budget, so that oh, that overage um, and that difference will come out when we buy it back. Okay, gotcha. It's more of a theoretical because we, profit at this point. No, no, no. Because we actually got the money. We actually they actually can, buy the barrel. Can we fill barrels? Like, can we can can we spend that on a program? Perhaps that the Republicans said we're not giving any more money for, and we needed another ten million for. Can we use that? Like, like right, like uh, Kevin Klein and Dave, or something like that. Um, it, no, but what you can do is it gives you more wiggle room on some budgetary stuff in committee around certain things. So like a, any of the committees, like largely Department of Transportation or, um, it, you know, like FEMA, and there are varying programs where you could say we've got this much revenue coming in that wouldn't have come in otherwise because we took something we had and we sold it at this point. Once we buy it back, that money is basically freed up to say we did make money on this sale. It, that right now, gotcha. they have to – they'll fill – and as it, it doesn't have to wait till it's filled back up to that initial amount, whatever the trade point is. So every sale and every purchase that balances out a certain amount, that, that shows up in, in a budgetary surplus or money available for elements of the budget. So um, they can use it. I wish. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, it brings down the deficit for the year. Absolutely. That's that's where it would show up in the regular budgetary aspect. Um, And I wish, like you do, that the you know, that the Biden White House could go. That just sits in a slush fund for us to we could pay for the child income tax credit for, you know, 60,000 families with it or something like that. That would be lovely, but that's not how it works. But as long as you buy and sell it at the market price, if you're just, it's just like any other sale or purchase you would make. That's how it worked out. So the, the Biden administration made about $40 a barrel minimum on each of these, um, the barrels that they sold, and then they will buy back to refill to make sure that we have enough in the strategic reserve. And they're kept largely in like salt mines in Louisiana and other places, which are these giant empty caves that we just pour oil into and let it sit. Um, it's a very strange, I mean, it's, there's four or five of them around the country and they're kept relatively quiet, but that's one of the places. Um, and it's one of the reasons why Louisiana, why we have to take crap from them sometimes is because they sit on these areas that the federal government has to supply them with support funds for um, red, a lot of red states like that, Nevada and uranium and elsewhere. Anyways, 
I'm out of time. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. I hope that clarified it. And I'm going to put up a BRB sign and then be right back and do my regular show after this. Thank you, Lady B. You're wonderful. Thanks to Philip Itner for uh, joining us today. And thanks to all the callers. And I will see you guys Saturday for the House Radio Program, Mega Worldwide, um, 11 to in the Chicago area. And uh, bye-bye.